A to Z of UK TV drama with Andy Priestner and Martin Holmes. back to an A to Z of UK TV drama with me, Andy. And me, Martin. Hello, Martin. How are you? Hello. Oh, you know, April the 1st. Yes. <laughs> In the middle of a lockdown. <laughs> I know. It's a strange old world, isn't it, these days? Oh, it's, it's keeping us busy doing this kind of thing. So that's there is an upside to a certain extent. Yes, know? we have um, ramped up to fortnightly because we thought, why not? <laughs> We've not got much else to do at the moment in our line of work. Um, yeah. So, what are we doing today, Andy? So, today we are going back to 1987 to explore what I consider to be an amazing TV series called Fortunes of War. Um, yeah. Based on the so, books by Olivia Manning. Yes. And um, uh, screenplay, we return to Mr. Alan Plater, <laughs> who we've yes. met before in this series. Yes, we have. So there'll be an interesting thing, because I think it's inevitable that we'll compare this a little with the Beiderbecke affair. You've got two characters who are um, a man and a woman, and it's about their relationship as much as it is about anything else. And I think there's parallels between this and that. Oh, very much so. I mean, it's one of the things I kept writing down. Oh, compare this with Beiderbecke. Uh, oddly enough, I also compare it a couple of times with Tenko. Um I do as well, yeah. Uh, uh, which is which is interesting because obviously we've not we've not covered Tenko in this series yet, but um, but there are there are the same kind of beats, the same kind of rhythms in the series. You see similar things uh, of like the, you know, the, the British while war is happening around them and pretending nothing's happening and all this. Kind of yes, thing. so there's a lot of that goes on. Uh, yeah. It's a very prestigious production, I would say. This one. Yes, uh, and I think I think another word was possibly. Um, that was used at the time was that it was um, kind of elitist um, mm. in the sense that it was, you know, Sunday night drama and here's Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson. Mm. But let's not forget they weren't names yet. They were really, this was the start of their careers. Indeed. Um, very and it much. also does does depend very much on whether you like Ken and M. <laughs> it does. Ken, you know. But as you just said, Ken and M, and that was a thing, wasn't it? And I think that's one of the reasons why perhaps Fortunes of War is not so well regarded is simply the fact that there was the lovey phase of the 90s, early 90s, Mm. when everything was about Ken and M, and you couldn't turn on the TV without hearing about what the latest film was or what they were doing and all that stuff. And Uh. and Peter's Friends being the um, apotheosis of that, which many regard as an awful film. Um, 
But I loved them, and I didn't yes. care because I felt it yeah. was media storm and like you know this is just anti them because you know the Cambridge and let's knock people who are cleverer and more talented than we are. There is, there is certainly M fatigue did set in, didn't it? <laughs> I think it did. But even for them, I mean, yeah. they split in the uh, mid nineties, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Branner and Thompson, it's really important to consider. I mean, they are absolutely central to it, and their casting was just yes. inspired. Yes, and they um, play Harriet and Guy Pringle. I think we may need to mention that in case the names come up. <laughs> no, that's, I think they will, rather a lot. Yes. So the story, um, a brief synopsis, um, they are newlyweds. Guy and Harriet Pringle, he's an English literature lecturer. Um, they arrive in Romania in 1939 um, at the outbreak of war which you could argue was a silly thing to do anyway. Um, and it carries on through the war up until summer 43. And on, along the way, they go to Athens and then Egypt. And there's also a bit in Palestine. So it's all about fleeing the, the yeah. oncoming storm. It's, of, it's, it's of, not a travelogue. Yeah. They're not just on holiday. They are, they are fleeing, no. generally fleeing from war zone to war zone across Europe. <laughs> yeah. But importantly... It's not so much about the action and what they're doing as much as how they're feeling and how they relate to each other and the other characters, the fast, fantastic array of characters they meet along the way. Well, I would argue that, that uh, in many ways all human life is there. Yeah. Uh, and lots of people, shall we, shall we say, show their true colours uh, under difficult circumstances and others uh, show actually their nobility when they might have at first appeared less than noble and and this is precisely why i think that tenko parallel is important and also with secret army i feel the same that under these conditions you find out how people who people really are and that's always fascinated me Indeed. yeah um and alan plater I, I saw an interview with him and he said about fortunes of war that um i'm rarely heavy on plot i'm more interested in people being rather than people doing yes. and i think that's really clear and it's also true of Biderbeck as well Yes, there there is a there is a certain uh, there's there's often a, a not problem as such. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was a problem, but that there's a, there's a there's an interesting uh, phenomenon when you adapt a series of books or a book for television, because sometimes books are very internal, very emotional, and and not very big on the action. Yeah. Whereas, uh, you know, so they're more sort of esoteric, if you like, if that's the mm. right word. And mm. uh, so so um, what you get with, with, they can seem very strange. It can feel quite languid. It can feel like, oh, nothing much is happening. You, you can't really understand it. Whereas actually what you're doing is introducing a character who then starts a journey. I hate that word, but starts a journey through the mm. plot and, and becomes something else. And I suppose, unfortunately... That can sometimes mean that things people are going, oh, there's too many characters or whatever. There's a lot of characters in this. We've got to be honest. There is a lot of characters in this. Yes, I think I, only I, yeah. only three of them who appear in all seven episodes. Yeah, yeah. So the third is um, Dobson, played by Charles K. Yeah, who is, who is the Foreign Office representative? Pretty I much. mean, he's the face of the Foreign Office, isn't yes. he? He's like yes. the quintessentially British character Indeed. in this. Who, who I, I find. And, Beautifully defined in the first episode by the Foreign Office has no view that line that he yes, which is yes. just uh, and the people start talking about oh they painted out the windows but it's actually it's just a very dry but but very beautifully chosen line which basically yes. sums him up totally. <laughs> in a sentence. I just want to talk a bit more about production before we move into Indeed. looking at the episodes and 
and stuff. Um, so Alan Plater, writer, um, based on the books by Olivia Manning, there were six books that formed the Balkan trilogy, which effectively is episodes one to four. And then the Levant trilogy, Levant, Levant, I'm not sure, episodes five to seven. So um, you've got six books condensed into seven episodes here, which is quite a task. Yes. But um, what Emma Thompson said at the time was that she, she, yeah, the script, the scripts were so bare though. So Plato took out lots of the, lots of the, you know, the, the stuff that was there in order to make it breathe and let the characters breathe, which the actors were thrilled with. Um, so that they, you know, they had time for reactions. It's very cinematic. It's about the way they react to each other a lot of the time. Isn't it beautiful? Mm, it has some good moments. It has some very good moments. I'm talking about the mountains. Oh, the mountains? You do agree the mountains have some good moments? Well, I really need my distance glasses, darling. James Kethan Jones was the director, famously directed the Foresight Saga, the original one back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And in the early 70s, I don't think it exists anymore, Roads to Freedom, which is something I'd love to see, which is a war-based mm-hmm. series as well. Um, and he said he fell in love with the characters, and that's why he wanted to direct it. Um, I, so I the, find, what yeah. I find interesting about the series of, as, as a whole is that whilst... In the first few episodes, it seems that the emphasis is on Guy. Towards the end of the story, I feel the emphasis completely shifts to being on Harriet. Um, I may be mis- misreading that, but there's a, there's a, there's a, there is a kind of shift in... Perhaps it's the same in the books, that the main character almost... Ken almost becomes the second fiddle throughout a lot of the second half of the book. Oh, see, my series. my feeling my feeling was that it was Harriet's story all the way yes. up until episode four. Hmm. Although, obviously, yeah, I think you're right. I think he recedes. He definitely hmm. recedes. It's much more about the two of them. Then he kind of recedes, and it's more about her reaction to him as it goes on. But well, then, it's what, just I, what I made something I made that it, yeah. Sorry, go. I was going to say something that threw me out though a little hmm. was from episode five. You suddenly got Simon Boulderstone played by Rupert Graves, right. and suddenly he's a key character, hmm. and I just don't understand quite why. And he's quite important in the last three episodes. But that's and it's because... almost like he replaces Ken in many ways in, in, and that, in driving yeah. the plot. Yeah. But that's because I've discovered since, because I haven't, I haven't read them for so many years, but the Levant trilogy actually starts with Simon Boulderstone. And right. the, the chapters alternate between Harriet and Simon for those last three books. So oh, okay. that's why he's so important there. But it, feels, it throws you a bit, out a bit because you think, well, why are we interested in this guy? This is about mm. Harriet and Guy. Yeah, there, anyway. was, there was something I wrote uh, in as I was watching about episodes one and two. Is that is is uh, Harriet ever going to get out of that hotel room? <laughs> and well, I, did, I, yeah. I did feel that very much he the uh, the guy was often about quite a lot, and and she was just waiting for him. And yeah, that, again, and that's that sort the theme, of yeah. shifts in terms of the plot as she becomes more proactive. You know. Oh, I see. Yeah, so she so she does literally wait for him, but later on she gets on with stuff as well as waiting for him. Yes, because <laughs> she knows, as, as Inchcape says, you'll be waiting for him all your life. You'll keep turning up, and um, yeah, that's. I love that. I think it starts to get a bit tired towards the end, where you're thinking, "Yes, we know he never turns up on time," but there was there's that lovely moment where at one point she says, "Oh, I must go and congratulate Guy for only being two hours late." <laughs> 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 I just love that one. 
yes. suppose my question at this point would yeah. be, do you think, as a person, you would like Guy? No, and I think one of the reasons why people struggle with Fortunes of War is that they think you're meant to like the characters. Mm. And I don't think you're meant to like Guy. I think you're meant to be irritated by him. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> yes. And you're meant to shout at him when he's saying, <clears throat> oh, when, he, when they get to Egypt and, oh, I think we'll put on Hamlet. You're like, no, uh-huh. you asshole. You know, think about your wife. Um, there is a wonderful scene which I'll play in um, in a moment in which Harriet is listing the things all he's got, that he's, he's got to do that are on his list. And she quietly says at the end, and your wife. But he says, what's that, darling? He misses her saying that. <laughs> Where were you? Well, I've had the most amazing stroke of luck. Two new teachers have turned up out of the blue. Perfect English, well-read, very hard-working, and they could find work anywhere. They want to teach. Egyptians? No, they're European Jews, more or less, from Palestine. Oh, I see. Do they have names? Hertz and Alain. So they'll take over the English classes and I can concentrate on literature. Mm. And troop shows. Mm. And a possible production of Hamlet. Yes. And the Pink Rose lecture. Oh, God. (laughs) Yes, is that as well. And your wife. Well, he does that a lot, doesn't he? There's a lot. Of, there are a lot of moments where he just he, he's immediately distracted by something more interesting, if you like. Mm. And and it's kind of, again as, as a viewer, you're just sitting there wanting. To, well, at times you just want to punch him, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Now <laughs> the interesting slapping. thing is that no, that's, yeah, that's I think, the kind of. <laughs> I think the thing is what you've got to remember is that Kenneth Branagh didn't like Guy. Right. And he said he wasn't really happy about taking on the part originally because he disliked the man so much. Yeah. Um, well, he, he is a very, um, I would argue, a very naive idealist, if you like. Totally, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and I think that plays, I mean, right right from the opening where they're on that train and he's yattering away at the Jewish guy about Adolf Hitler in German. Mm. Yeah. And, and then suddenly the guy hasn't got his passport, he hasn't got any money, he gets carted off the train and, and, and he kind of, he thinks, oh, I've got to do something, I've got to help, and he just gives him a few quid, you know. And it's just it's just kind of, you don't see the bigger picture here of what's happening to this guy. <laughs> well, I think he does, but he's just, he's very much, Guy is very much aware of what he's able to do. Yes. And, and he will only do as as much as he can do he wants to change the world idealistically with ideas and stuff, but in terms of what he can actually do, I think he knows he can't do very much. So when the when there's bombs dropping and stuff, he famously mm. just sits there like it's carry on up the Khyber, doesn't he? And he's yeah. like, you know. Um, but he know he says it says at one point, well, what can I do? I can't do anything about that. I, I can only do so much. And what he wants to do is change people with his kindness and with his mm. ideas. Mm. But but interestingly, he he loves everyone which yes. is an issue because it means if you love everyone then mm-hmm. what happens about that special person in their, in your life do you love yes. them as much which Harriet mm. questions quite often but also you have to like the fascists as well and of course he doesn't love but, everyone because he doesn't like fascists which is a perfectly yeah. laudable thing you know yes and I'm interested at the start actually though um, there's that character of Bella played by Caroline Langriche yes. and that's the one person he definitely doesn't like because mm. she's a bourgeois 
um, rich Romanian woman. Or well, no, she's married a Romanian, hasn't she? Mm. She's married into it. But, but I, I but, thought it was interesting. But, there are exceptions. But, but then he well he, because when they go to dinner and the, and and he and she sort of, uh, doesn't his wife say to him you know. Uh, oh, but you're prepared to put up with them when they're making you dinner and this kind of thing, and the means yes. to an end, and all this kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so, um, a, yeah. On. No, carry on. No, I was just going to say that there is there is a lovely line uh, about halfway through the first episode where he says we we need to be kind to people who are sad and lonely and frightened. And yes. She questions him on that, and and he goes, "Well, we must try." And that yes. kind of again is is. I, I keep finding these lines that sum up the character in, in a nutshell, and, and yeah, totally. And that seems to be him. But then, my God, he's mind-bogglingly naive. Sophie's mother was Jewish. Until recently, she worked on an anti-fascist magazine. She wants a British passport. Well, it was never a serious possibility. But it was a possibility. Well, one has to be polite. And I suppose you lent her money. A little. Did she pay you back? Well, in Romania, the attitude to loans is somewhat different. The money's never returned. Darling, we can afford to be kind to people who are sad and lonely and frightened. There are thousands of people like that. There isn't time to be kind to all of them. We must try. Yes, he is. He is. And also he misses stuff that's going on in front of his nose quite often. Because, like with the what? two terrorists towards the end who end up bizarrely assassinating Pink Rose or yes. being involved in that. Oh, and, and he, he employs them. <laughs> yes! Because <laughs> he well, just the thinks they're th- interested in him in, in him and his, his ability, you know. But the other thing about that, that scene about We Must Try is that, is that this is literally just after they've had the they've been sort of going jollily along singing it's a long way Tipperary after after the very mournful Romanian song in the uh, the cafe yeah or, uh, restaurant or whatever cabaret and <laughs> and um, and they're sort of in the car going home and there's some shooting you know and they're, la 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 there's just somebody shooting dear don't worry about it and it turns out to have been the assassination of the prime minister yes yes Kalinescu <laughs> you know, which, which yeah. basically affects all their lives uh, yeah but and it and it's sort of like he's just so blase oh just some shooting dear don't worry about it <laughs> yeah well i think that's partly his character it's like we can only do so much but mm. he does believe you should do something yes um but harriet is actually i think Arguably, Harriet is more interested in people than he is in yes. the fact she wants to know about how they tick, and she doesn't see them all as one homogenous lump of everyone. No. Must, we must be nice to them all. She's like, "Well, I don't like him, or yes. I worry about her, or like Sophie, she definitely doesn't like." I love no. the moment when she snatches the phone and tells her to jump out of the window. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yes, yeah. and, and there's also that, but there's also that thing where she she says, "If you were more interested in people, you might not like them so much." Yes, you know. Yes, absolutely. When, when, she, when he says he's about I. She says he's about ideas and she's about people, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, it's just it's just very very. Uh, it's 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 a very complicated. Rel- I mean, I you kind of wonder, and I, and I know this is probably all covered in the book, so it's probably me just not having read the books. But you kind of wonder how they got together in the first place. Really. Well, I think um, I think there was an interview with Emma Thompson, and she said it's to do with the fact that she kind of had quite a, a sheltered upbringing. And she just therefore just accepted 
Um, well, he said it was a warm summer, didn't he? It, it yes, that's married. the only explanation for their relationship. It was a warm summer, as if like, that so explains just got it all. Married. Oh, well, why yeah. not? Um, uh, which, of yeah. course, then set, has the thing of Sophie uh, being a bit peeved with him, which some yeah. assume they have. She is the ex, or they have a past, or something, and she's really she's desperate to get an English passport. <laughs> well, I don't think they have got a past. I think she he oh, just right. doesn't realise what she's after, after to yes. the degree. Well, she does because he says this is the story, this is what mm. happened. But I think he's na- he's still naive about how sexual she will get in mm. order to to ensnare him if she possibly yes. can. Mm. And I want to come back to her because I'm mystified about her and Lawson. I'll come back to that, ah. but um. I just wanted to say the thing that I think sums up their relationship the most is probably in the second episode, um, Harriet and Guy, mm. and they're in bed together, which they often mm. are. And mm. he says, "I like Shakespeare," and she says, "I like my cat." <laughs> <laughs> and then he he he, um, he quotes Shakespeare, and it's something from Merchant of Venice. Mm. And in response, she says, "And I'm going to play it in now." Have I not hands? organs, senses, dimensions, passions. Mm-hmm. Good night, sweet prince. And what that is, is actually from Merchant of Venice. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't he doesn't listen or doesn't register that's what it is so the point is she's as intelligent as him Mm. and she can actually play him at his own game even with Mm. Shakespeare Mm. but the fact is that he's not interested enough in her to listen to her for number one but number Mm. two the fact is she's more than just interested in Shakespeare she's she's interested in so many more things yes and I just think that was a really important contrast Mm. there's also a, a, a sort of subtext I think certainly that runs throughout the second half of episode two with this whole idea of putting together Shakespeare plays while the world burns around. <laughs> yes! And, and, and is this just the English abroad doing incredible things? I mean, this is a oh. really important point. Yeah, it's... There's a point in that when Ken... You actually see just Ken as director. Totally! Just, that's just Ken. <laughs> that's him directing. So many times you think that. You think, oh, this is just Kenneth Branagh finding his feet as a director. Yeah. He knows yeah. exactly... This is exactly how he'd be. Because he is yeah. the foremost Shakespearean director now, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, he is. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You curve. Yes, and then you hit him. Very good. Very good. Excellent. Yes. Now, uh, darling and Yaki, would you like to dip your toes into Act 1, Scene 2? Very good. Excellent. Couldn't we just Excuse read me, the play through from start to finish? I can't tell what the story's about. Yes. Very good, Bella. It's just if we can, at this point, begin to feel our way into the characters, I think we can just come back to the story any time, OK? Thank you. Now, if you'd like to begin our point I mentioned earlier, OK? Yeah, the passes, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, I just wanted to yeah, the parallel with Tenko where they have the Christmas party oh, yes. um, just before you know they get sent to the next camp mm. and, and also the choral groups they have but I think mm. part of this I know the situation's less extreme in Fortunes of War because they're not yet imprisoned Yes, but putting on Troilus and Cressida you could argue it's a ridiculous act of absurdity oh, and this is really emphasised by the, by the fact that you see um Harriet and Lawson on the tram reciting bits and and I think she has a line about there is um what is the line I'm just going to find it everyone in Bucharest is talking in Elizabethan prose or blank verse because <laughs> there's 28 people in this damn play <laughs> and it's the entire it's the entire sort of British contingent you know, yes and that's all they're doing Prince uh, <coughs> Prince Yakimov 
who is apparently but, wonderful. <laughs> yes. I think there's even a parallel, though, with now. I mean, look at us putting this mm. podcast on, putting loads, mm. making loads of pod- podcast episodes just because of what's going on in the world around us. Oh, God, I yeah. think it's really important to focus on art when there's mm. nothing else that you can do. We are Indeed. absolutely powerless, and they Indeed. were. And I think there's something else about that, which, I mean, if you think about Churchill... Hmm. Um, Marisa reminded me of this my wife and she said my wife she said that <laughs> Churchill said and you looked out of the window and went oh Shakespeare <laughs> sorry dear did you say something yes exactly I know Shakespeare better than you do um, <laughs> I have um, a podcast to do <laughs> yes, stop quoting um, but Churchill said that you know if, if we're not fight, doing this fighting this war for the art what are we doing it for yes you know, and that's what they're doing here is an embodiment of fighting for art. And this is, of course, paralleled in the direction by James Kethlin Jones, the taking of Paris during yes. the Troilus and Cressida performance scenes. Indeed. And I don't think it's a judgment on them that they're put, putting on the performance because it's saying that this is part. Hopefully it's partly saying this is what we're fighting for. Mm. But it does look absurd as well, doesn't it? Oh, yes, it, absolutely. You know, I mean, you know, it, it's uh, this is reality. This is fantasy, you know. But also, yeah. I mean, uh, that whole thing about preserving culture. I mean, that's that's right up to date with what was happening a few years ago with with the de- demolition of the um, the temples and what have you in, in, in the Middle East. You know, yes, totally. it's it's it, it, it's still this thing of the way you destroy a country and its history and its everything that it represents is to destroy its history, yeah. destroy its past, destroy anything that, you know, you can imagine if, if, if anybody had got, got across the channel, you know, you know, they'd be, they'd be flattening the national gallery, you know, this kind of thing. You know. Yeah. Which is I, terrifying. I, th- I think Galpin sims, sums it up the best. I love Galpin, the journalist. He's oh like, yes. He's a brilliant character. Europe in flames, German army crashing through Belgium, Holland, Luxembourg, and the English in exile doing Shakespeare. It's great stuff. The only trouble is I can't decide whether it's defiant gesture in the face of the enemy or a shameful waste of time and money in the midst of a national crisis. What do you think? I blame capitalist imperialism. Of course you do. I was forgetting. <laughs> and that's well, it perfectly. He, he's a, he's a, a lo- lovely character. I mean, um, who is played by if I can find Desmond McNamara. Yeah. Who are, who uh, a few years before had been uh, Hazel's mate in. Uh, he was he was he was playing your sort of more down down to earth London characters, you know. Right. And um, I don't know why I say London then. But <laughs> no. London. You would have got away with it if you haven't uh, mentioned it again. No, I know. Well, you can cut that. <laughs> But anyway, no. Um, but it's interesting actually because because that's the that is the other strand really of the first episode, isn't it? It's because it's, there is this fake news strand hmm. uh, because there is the assassination. Yeah, there is the uh, they they go to the official press conference and they get told they're very naughty. <laughs> yes, for making up their fantasies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is kind of bizarre. But then, yes. um, and then of course the you know the the uh, uh, Yakimov hmm. has has basically been subbed into being a journalist. I mean, we should talk about Yakimov. Yeah, let's talk about Yakimov because, because he is he is arguably the finest creation in the whole thing. Indeed. If you're not a resident at the Atene Palace, you are not entitled to use their rooms. I was a resident. I only moved out temporarily, so I took the caution of hanging onto a key ready for when I moved back in. And stop making people think you're a spy. 
Spy? Who thinks I'm a spy? I've been told you're spying for the British and for the Germans. Apparently you persuade people, newspaper men and the like, that you have valuable information. Well, you know, my friends give me hospitality. I like to entertain them with stories. I see. You invent the information, in fact. One has no genuine information. One has to invent. I like to give value. You could end up being shot by both sides simultaneously. And apparently he was cast first. Ronald Pickett was cast first by James Catherine Jones. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. Um, so Yakimov, Prince Yakimov, to give him his proper title, Indeed. is of Russian descent, but also of Irish descent as well. And he has a very English accent, though. But as Ronald Pickett said in an interview, mm. that's partly because people who aren't English try to make themselves appear even more English in order to fit in yes. because he really is an outsider. He's a drifter. He's an emigrant. Oh, well, I would say yeah. a feckless, work-shy fop. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know. But we start the series, and he's very hard to like at the start. Oh, God, yeah. But as it goes on, I mean, he's the character you, you're desperate to appear in every scene, and yes. you love him. Mm. Um, and as we're now encouraging people to watch the episodes or watch the series before they listen to us talk about them, <laughs> hopefully we can now say that Yaki gets shot at the end of episode four. And yes. it's it's distressing beyond it's just yes, awful it yes it is because yeah. again because it's so uh throwaway so pointless really yeah the situation that causes it to happen is yeah. just oh dear god you know yes. but, he, but we first meet him as a refugee don't we We've, yes uh, but he's but he's a wealthy refugee who wants to go and live in still be living in the 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 best hotels and um, well formerly wealthy he hasn't got he's, yes. he's in his last best suit isn't he i think yes. and he's probably yeah. been in it for days and, and, it, a, and a terrifying yeah. fur coat <laughs> We should have and a series keeps, on its own. And he keeps telling people he's not on the scrounge, but yes. that's all he's on. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I'd even call him louche, but there we go. That's a good word. It's a good word. Um, that coat you mentioned is meant to be from the Tsar, a present to his father from the Tsar, ah, I think. Okay. Yes. Um, he says at one point. Hmm. So but basically, what happens to him then is he, he meets a journalist who gives him his press card so he can get free booze. Yes, and free accommodation because he because the journalists are allowed to stay in the best hotels and with a press pass you can do that. Yeah. And basically, he then is the worst journalist in history. Yes, <laughs> drops the guy in it who 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 was um oh what's his name um uh what's his name Barry Jackson. Oh yes, Drax. Uh, yes, and uh, and basically who who has one of those beautiful classic uh, plate lines. Goodbye forever, thank Christ. <laughs> I oh, know, it's so brilliant. We're very fond of Goodbye Forever because it Yes, because he had that. Yes, because James Wilson says that to Helen of um, Tadcaster, doesn't That's he? Right. Yes, yeah. yes, I forgot but, that. Uh, and he gets his press card back and he's basically kicked out of the country because of a, a fake report that Jackie put. I have to say some <laughs> other lines that were said to him that I must talk about. Um, <laughs> Sorry, did I interrupt you? you no, I was just—I was thinking. Basically, yeah. Yaki basically comes along, drops hand grenades into people's lives, <laughs> yes. and, and seems to emerge, most part, unscathed until obviously, um, what yeah. happens to him in the end? You know. Yeah. Um, Galpin again says, "I can't. De- I can't decide what sort of bastard you are." At one point, <laughs> which I just love. But also the fact that he, he actually rewrites his stuff because he's because dro- he's dropping his mate in it. I know exactly. <laughs> and he's but, like, oh, oh I, I will not have his reputation tarnished by an idiot like you or whatever. Yes. However he puts it. <laughs> and the other line which I'm going to use is, "You stick to people like shit sticks to a blanket." 
She's so horrible, but it's so. Oh, it, yeah. it again. I mean, the thing about Plato is there's very sharp writing throughout. You know, I mean. Yes, and it's I mean, hard it's, to know how much of it is Olivia Manning. Oh, I must make my Olivia Manning anecdote before I, I, I forget it. Okay. Which is, she was known by her friends as Olivia Moaning, uh-huh. and because she was always on about the fact she would never be famous while she was alive, uh-huh. and that she should be better known, and so it transpired. She died in 1980, so this was 87. Yeah. So yeah. Um, oh, wow. Have we mentioned that Harriet is based on her experiences? I don't think we have. It's semi-autobiographical. Um, it, 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 no, I don't think we have actually mentioned that. No, absolutely and not. Reggie Smith is Guy, her husband, R.D. Ah. Smith. So based on their experiences, but, you know, loosely, I think, yes. you know, she she obviously made drama of things. Well, Pringle is a more interesting name than Smith, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it absolutely is. And that's probably why she kept Manning. <laughs> She's mm-hmm. like, I'm not giving up Manning yeah. to become Olivia Smith. No relation to the lovely Katie, I imagine. <laughs> no, I doubt. No. Oh, I don't know, though. Possibly. Well, every, everything's connected. It always is. So, are we saying anything more about about Yaki? Um, for the moment, I think we'll come back to Yaki because he, he does yeah. pop up. I mean, I just but, wanted to say he, he reminded me of Tom Price in Survivors. Weirdly, I know that's very far off. Yeah, in some no, way. that makes sense. Yeah. But the fact that you know he's 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 wearing a suit and he has the Rolls Royce sort of at one point, and it's, oh, I know they're very different characters, but I just was reminded of him. Well, I think yes. I, can, I, you can, I mean you could argue with with all the characters in in the story. They've all they all um, bring facets of how people are to the table. Yeah, and and. Uh, I mean, the one who gets me is is the uh, who appears very briefly in the first episode because he's invited to the Christmas party. Is um, oh, is it Dubadat? Dubadat. Oh, let's the, talk about Dubadat. My God, Dubadat. The 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 basically the 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 left wing um, coarse and vulgar and, and and who basically goes on a journey to becoming a right old so and so. A middle class bastard. Yes, I mean, indeed. He, he's like. a humble yes. member of the proletariat at the start. Right. Um, and he's a conscientious objector, and he blames yeah. e- capitalist imperialism on everything. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that, that, that's what it is. Yes. But and yet, still gets invited to Christmas dinner. So there we go. And and eats it very happily. I took the liberty of bringing an old friend. I met him in the English bar. Lonely, long way from home. Do be that humble member of the proletariat. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. What a lovely surprise. Another chair, Despina. But um, he Whoa. he gets a new teeth. He gets new a new suit, new teeth. No, oh, <laughs> he yes. just becomes middle class, and it's oh, just absolutely. the aspirational a, bar. <laughs> yes, and then he gets a pal who is beautifully mm. called Toby Lush. Oh, I mean, Toby that's Lush. like Dickensian sort of yes. to- um, who is, name. Who is bu- played by the lovely Christopher Strowley, uh, yes. who we know as Bunny from uh, Raffles, of course. Yes, and he's just as much of a fraud as Dubadat, but oh, he's absolutely. somehow even more of a weasel. I don't know why. At least Dubadat seems like a villain. Yes, but. But Toby is kind of like smile and be a villain, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> there was one bit that I wanted to say, which it reminded me of something I used to do, which is terrible. Is when they have the um, they have a meal in Athens with Guy and Harriet because okay. they've supplanted him. I know we're going leaping forward, um, but we're going to move around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that um, he asks whether they told Professor Gracie about the fact that they don't have any qualifications mm. or they don't have Cambridge qualifications, mm. and. It reminds me of when I worked in Cambridge University, 
that um, most people who had kind of senior staff roles, as as I did, albeit I was a librarian, it wasn't anything too grand, but it did mean I was an officer of the university, darling. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That people would say, oh, where did you go to university? And I would say, oh, Exeter. And they'd say, oh, Exeter College, Oxford. Oh, yes. And I wouldn't correct them. Ah. And it was actually Exeter University. But it just didn't do to tell other academics or other people that it was actually Exeter University because they would treat you differently. Uh, I'm right. right. Come on, I am. Yeah, I I was. I can tell you're a librarian from the bookshelves you've been posting. (laughs) No, they're DVD shelves, darling. Well, yes. (laughs) But anyway. um, Which, of course, yes. Of course, no, that, that actually, interestingly enough, that little anecdote there, ties in very beautifully with of course with the background of the one and lovely Mr Alan Bennett who I does know. turn up in this series as indeed Lord Pinkrose. Yes, there's a brilliant moment when, when Guy says Professor Pinkrose and he says Professor Lord Pinkrose. Oh absolutely <laughs> Who was actually based on Lord Dunsany, Edward okay. Plunkett who basically was an old buffer who went around teaching the natives about poetry all over the world. (laughs) Whether they liked it or not. Yes. (laughs) Now, we have this event that we never think is going to take place all the way through the drama, and whenever it comes up, it's the source of much mirth, and it's the Cantagazino lecture. Um, It starts out like that on Byron. On Byron, yes. Which becomes the Lord Pinkrose lecture, which you never think is going to be given, and in fact it is never given, ultimately, but we should come back to that. But... um, Actually, weirdly, when I was just watching this, I actually didn't recognise Alan Bennett. I was appalled at myself when I suddenly twigged who it was. Oh, gosh. Really? I really, I mean, I kind of, it's one of those things, you know, I saw, I sort of knew he was in it, but I hadn't really sort of remembered he was in it. Hmm. And then suddenly he popped up and it took me a scene or two when I thought, hold on a minute. I know who that is. (laughs) I mean, Pinkrose is a despicable character. He's a product it's a product of the Cambridge world that I know so well. And it said at one point, okay. I think by Inchcape, he just can't forgive the world outside of, Cam- outside of Cambridge for not being Cambridge. Indeed. And I know so many academics like that. They just can't cope. They literally can't function outside of Cambridge because no. everything is done for them there because they are gods there. They're little gods, the academics mm. there. And everyone runs around and calls them Professor Lord, whatever. Mm. And I refused to do it in Cambridge. I called everyone by their first name and the amount of people who I made as enemies because of that. Mm. This is typical of the way I've been treated. I can assure you, Lord Pinkrose, the post has said Rigoletto. The moment I arrived, I've been kept in total ignorance of what is going on. I find myself in a hostile town, masquerading as the capital city. Ruffians roaming the streets, the Gestapo in every nook and cranny. I cannot accept responsibility for history. Nobody told me. No, 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 no. I had to rely for my information on some rapscallion from a popular newspaper. Galpin? I don't know the man's name. Very good, no, Questions will be asked, Pringle. Questions will be asked. It's the blaming of Guy for everything. <laughs> for everything that goes wrong. Yeah, yeah. I've been treated outrageously. Nothing to do with the Nazi, Nazi invasion <laughs> or anything. This is typical of the way I've been treated, he says at yes, one point, yes, when, yeah. when they put on Tannhauser at the Opera House. And he's yeah. like, somehow it's what? Yes. <laughs> oh, he's just awful. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. The, the, the other th- th- thing I suspect, uh, before we move on from the opening... Uh, yes is uh, perhaps we should uh, have a, a, a little a little bit of an observation about that Christmas that Christmas party. Yeah, because go for I, it. Because it's, I, I feel that this is the point at which our heroes have moved into a flat yeah. which overlooks the palace in yeah. Romania, and mm-hmm. so they can actually see everything that goes on. Yeah. But the, the, there is a lovely moment where, because 
despite being a man of the people and everything like that, the uh, the the woman who is the uh, uh, maid is it Despina, yeah, is uh, is basically lugging chairs up and down the stairs, yes. <laughs> and without any assistance, you still have the servants. You know, oh, absolutely, yes. Backstairs, yes, backstairs and everything. You still and got he the would be used to that. Isn't there something about the fact that they sleep in some hut on the roof or something? <laughs> no, I think I think that's the thought originally, but then they discover that she's actually got a cupboard in the kitchen and oh, in right. Romania servants <laughs> sleep in the cupboard. <laughs> it's just like, oh my god! Yeah. Uh, now I'm assuming that's a bit of local knowledge coming coming out <laughs> in the in the story, but but it, it just it just bizarre. It's just very very yeah. bizarre. But and of course, the the other uh, aspect yeah. of the first episode is that you meet the Jewish family. Yes, who, the Druckers. Who, yeah. who also blame Guy and Harriet for... Well, at least the son does. <laughs> yes. Yeah. To a certain extent, anyway. Yeah. I mean, they take him in, look after him uh, when he yeah. when he uh, t- comes back. But uh, but then then he is taken away and yet still survives, which is which is always uh, which is always surprising. But I guess there's a whole naivety about. I, I, again, you could argue that this this. Uh, the the lack of knowledge about what was happening with the final solution across Europe. Yeah. Uh, a lot of intellectuals were pretending, or you know, wasn't happened. It, 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 it there there is a lot there's a lot with Guy where he sort of seems to think, oh, they'll be all right. The Russians will look after them. Or the <laughs> there's a lot of things he says that make you think, oh, please, really, you know, you 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 you, you can't. I mean, obviously. In, when you're living in the time, you can't step back and see the bigger picture. But Yeah, I mean, Harriet has a wonderful good. observation about that. He says, he's an atheist with a religious temperament, so he believes in Russia, a home mm. for little children above the bright blue sky, which she knows <laughs> cannot be true. Indeed. But, indeed. And I think this is interesting, that I think Guy is about has this desire to change the world, and that gets in the way of having a, mm. having a conventional marriage with Harriet. I think that's part of the issue. But I don't think his politics are perhaps emphasized enough and i seem to remember they were emphasized more in the books hmm. and i think he's more of a communist than they were yeah. happy to show on tv on in 87 yeah. yes i mean i, I mean again because you've got uh, is that about the same time as alan bennett wrote the the plays about um the cambridge spies Ooh, is that possibly. the same sort know. of era because sure. it <clears throat> because it, it 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 does interest me that all the way through i'm starting to think that this guy is going to end up being one of the the gang of Three, four, seventeen, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, you know, you almost feel that that's that's his destiny. You know. <clears throat> yeah, indeed. Sorry. No, yeah. Um, can we talk a bit more about Harriet for a moment? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> we're no, very no, proper. I mean, we're being in this podcast. No, I, 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 I'm, I'm skipping ahead. That's the thing. No, no, no. It's okay. Um, or I, not? I, I, <laughs> rude. <laughs> No, I was just going to say, very quickly, we realise she's a force to be reckoned with. And oh, yeah. although she's very much like isolated and, and an observer to begin with, she very quickly asserts herself. And um, she said, um, I don't appreciate being sent anywhere, not being a parcel. She says at one point. She really is in control. And she sorts the flat out. Um, and, of course, the way she treats Sophie, she's not having any Sophie's crap. She's just going to mm-hmm. deal with it. And... She sorts all the costumes for the performance, yes. and she also doesn't overreact to the fact that um, he's naughty and he gives Sophie the part of Cressida, mm. uh, and having given it already to his wife mm. already. I mean, obviously she's angry, yes, but 
she does. Well, there's a lot of burning anger there. I think. Yes, <laughs> definitely. But she's also practical enough just to get on with it and realise, mm. actually, oh, whatever, you know, I'm just going to get on with it. Mm. But um, I think she becomes more of a feminist by the end of it. Mm. And I think... Would, would, would you say, though, that that necessarily demonstrates a weakness or, or viewers would think that was a weakness in her, that she doesn't actually confront her? Or, or... Absolutely. And mm. in fact, Alex of Wealth Enough and Time, my sister, mm. watched this and she mm. didn't enjoy it at all. And I think right. it's because she wanted Guy to have more of a comeuppance. And yes. also she was irritated by Harriet putting up with him for so yes. long, I think. Yeah. Um, and I can see that. Mm. Um, the sexism in, in the, the series is is of the time. It's of Indeed, the, that's of the, the thing. 40s. It's, pro- it's probably historically accurate sexism. <laughs> yes, but there's a, few, there's a few times where you think... It, they emphasise it. Like, there's the point at which Edwina's crying again in the final mm. episode. And she says, mm. they say, it's your department. She says, why is people crying? It was my department. You're so much better at it than anyone else, darling. And she has some very obvious lines that, I don't know, are, are they of the time or of the 87, where she says, you can't make men chase by keeping women out of sight, she says to the Arab guy. Mm. And, um, and he says, you're an unusual lady, you have a mind of your own. And she says, where I come from, that is not unusual. <laughs> <laughs> She's a very eloquent, um, together person. Yeah. And I think Emma Thompson's view was the only reason why she, why Harriet stays with Guy and why she could put up with that is because she felt that Harriet was someone who didn't ever expect praise. Mm. And she'd been brought up not to expect anything. So therefore, she puts up with Guy for longer than she probably should. Mm. Well, that's, I suppose, again, that's that's when you separate the actress from the character, or the actor yeah. from the character. Yeah. And um, and and you might you might not like the words you're being made to say, but you know, <clears throat> it's not for you to say them differently. You know. It's a... Yeah, indeed. Um, oh, oh, the brilliant Harriet moment we, of course, gotta say is at the hotel Atenee where she um, she sticks the hat pin up the Nazi backside. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like... Indeed. Yes, you feel every bit of that pain. Wow. Indeed. And, and, yeah. and rightly so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about Clarence Lawson? E- oh, yes. Another, yeah. another strangely sort of, yes, dil- is it dilettante kind of? It well, sort of, does seem terribly vague to me at times, but he's I think he's sharp in, as a tack. My view was that he was in love with Guy. Right. And what the narrative leads you to believe and the way it's directed leads you to believe it's actually no or in, the, in terms of what the character says there's that he's in mm. love with Harriet mm. and ultimately he goes off with Sophie yes but my feeling of the subtext is that actually he's just a gay of the time who is not able to say he's gay okay. and therefore keeps it under wraps mm. and that's why he's got the this sort of, um, story of Brenda back home mm. And then he seems to be making a play for Harriet, but really, mm. I I feel that it's the first of two people who two mm. g- men who fall for Guy. Mm. Um, that's my that's my take. What do you think? Well, it, it it's it's possibly true that certainly there's a, a again there's part of Guy's naivety. You could argue is that he keeps letting her run off with all these blokes and not thinking. <laughs> Or maybe that's just a modern take on it. I don't know. People's companions. <laughs> yeah. All these chaps seem to be very desperate to um, to run away with Harriet, mm. and and certainly he, he he is one of them. But he he again um, he he abandons his his fiance uh, very quickly and 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 very much leaps into the um, into the arms of uh, Sophie when when 
when all else fails for her. <laughs> yeah. But again, this could just be could just be uh, <clears throat> the um, the nature of the times. Really. It, it is interesting when when you find when when you think about the generation before mine, really, who who because they had you know, they had to get married to have a life. They couldn't yeah. have girlfriends they couldn't live in sin really it was yeah, all very, yeah. and and a lot of people ended up in very unhappy marriages because it was the first person who asked them you know yes indeed and and sometimes i think characters like like him sort of ran away to other countries <laughs> if you like mm. with the foreign office because it just gave them a, a, another place to be yeah i i think the thing that makes me think about Lawson, I think the clue to his character and the clue to his love for Guy, which I do mm. think is definitely there, is that he, he has a go at Harriet. He's quite angry with Harriet quite often. Mm. He says, don't destroy Guy's integrity. Mm. He used to ha- he now filling him with middle-class ideas. You're making him wash mm. every day. He used to live out of a rucksack. Mm. And I think she's angry about how he sees the change in him. And mm. I think it's because, yeah. That's, nice. Would, would yeah. that be the same change that we see in Dubidat? Dubi- Dubidat. To yes. a certain extent. He, Although the, you could the, argue that Dubadat was never really as proletariat as he as he made out. Because hmm. <laughs> he's just, no, just think maybe, shallow. Maybe the old turd. guy was more like that, you know. Yeah. Just, yes, I think so. So it's that aspirational stuff going on. You know? Yeah. There's nothing I can do to help Guy or you or me. Am I good company? Not very. Bless you for your beauty and your honesty. <laughs> Should we talk a bit more about Dobson? Oh well, I think I think Dobson is such a key character, actually. Yeah. Uh, although again, very understated because he, he doesn't really play a large role in any of them, but he's sort of there as the guy who sorts out all their problems. If you like. Yeah. I, I think and, the thing and has a beautifully dry sense of humor oh wonderful and i'm just reminded and i said it last time so i'm going to say it again i had i had lunch with charles k but having watched (laughs) fortunes of war i now feel even luckier that i had lunch with him because i'm thinking all the scenes where they go out for dinner with him and i think i did this it was amazing (laughs) because he was just as dry and just as kind and just as cunning you know he is that person i mean if anyone was charles k it's dobson i mean and and vice Mm. versa very much Mm. him but um, what I loved, loved about his character is, is that if he says anything really strongly or, is lo- or he loses his co- cool, which is so rare, yes. then you should bloody well listen. And there yes. was two instances. One was when they get back to the flat in Romania when the palace is being sacked. Yes. And he says, will you, for God's sake, keep the noise down? And he's mm. deadly serious, like, you will shut up because this is Dobson telling you. Mm. And the other one is when they hear about the fall of Paris after they've performed Troilus and Cressida. Yes. And Dubadat says, but are we downhearted? And he starts playing the piano again. And Dobson says, I think we are a little. Yes. <laughs> it's like, <clears throat> yes. Hmm. Um, he, he is in control, though, isn't he? As much as he can be. Well, he is the, in many ways, he is the puppet master. He's probably, he's probably the, the reason why all of them survive in the end. <laughs> Although, apart from the fact that Harriet was going to go on... It's called Dobson's on, Boat, isn't it? On t- boat, aye. Yes, and that's the one that gets torpedoed. Yeah, but um, I think what, what I f- find interesting, and this is moving into the, the latter episodes here, is mm. that um, Dobson's character, it's interesting that we learn towards the end that he's not 
very developed in terms of his sexual sense. Mm. And he's very annoyed by the sense of lovemaking, which is makes oh, yes. lovely comedic signs. And the fact that um, he says something, war means that married people are having... Basically, he says um, people seem to get... To, go on to do things regardless, generally in the middle of the afternoon. And oh, he's, yes, absolutely. he's really annoyed about all the bonking and all the affairs that are going on. Absolutely. And it made me question what his sexuality is, and I think he's asexual, maybe, mm. in this, and that's just not what he's for. Yeah. Well, he's, 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 the, he's the best friend, isn't he? He's the BFF, or whatever they call yes. him. Yes. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's just sort of there, and every, everybody likes him, but he doesn't get off with anybody if you like him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And his relationship with Edwina is really interesting, and I didn't mm. quite ever get that because she's such a stupid woman. Mm. And is it just that she's there to be decorous next to him sometimes? What it's is possible. it? I'm going to go back to Romania now, if I may, before oh. we leave it. So I think Romania, as much as anything, is a character. I yes. think there's so much we learn about it. Just from the start, it's the chaos and noise when they arrive, the, the bells, the trams, the car horns. Mm. Um, but you very much learn about the Romanian people. Mm. And I have a vested interest in this because Alex's partner is is Romanian, Christian. Fair enough. And... And I went to Romania because of this, which was fantastic, um, mm-hmm. to meet all of his family and see how... Um, I, mean, I mean, is it a stereotype? But they were all very generous and and loud and humorous and mm-hmm. very hands everywhere. And, and I just think what really comes across is their passion, particularly. But also what I, I did think was slightly odd, and I wanted to hear from Christy what he felt about this, was mm-hmm. that... Although they're full of rage at one time, there's, there's a line, the Romanians are full of rage at what the world does to them. But yes. then the other characters, the British characters, keep calling them stupid. This was such a rich country, ruled by weak and foolish people. They had a great fortune, and they squandered it. The only great fortune is life. We won't squander it. And saying they they don't know what they've lost, they don't know what they had, but that feels quite colonialist, you know. That they're, yeah, I don't know. Well, I, th- I think in many ways, I mean, you could argue that guys sees that it was the perfect society, and then they let the fascists in. Yes, it's um, the, sw- the that's idiots. Right. But equally, you know, I think again that that's kind of part of his his naivety. I mean, we get we get winter in Romania, don't we? And then and there's a, there is a beautiful transition into spring in the, mm. the second episode. But we yeah. also see the the growth of their own fascist movement because basically these things can happen in any country, even though they they claim in their press conference that there are no fascists. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the the, yes. the Iron Guard have been. Oh, there aren't any. No, no, no. But they they eventually <laughs> end up taking over, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, the, there is right at the start of episode two, we meet uh, Ronald Fraser, uh, okay, Commander Sheppy, doing uh, pl- plotting insurrection <laughs> and sabotage. Which is just <laughs> gloriously which, ridiculous. But also that gets embroiled, the guy gets embroiled in that, which is one of the reasons he becomes a person of interest for the fascists. Yes. And of course, is another reason why 
<laughs> Yakimov drops him in it. <laughs> totally. Oh my gosh. You know, and yeah. and so that whole sort of uh, escalation of one misunderstanding becoming another man's problem, becoming this is how people got dragged off to death camps. You know, yes. um, it's 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 very interesting from a, from a just from a, a human point of view that one small lie or one small um, bit of self-interest can lead to terrible results. You know. Where did you get the plans? Guy Pringle, the chap I'm... St I'm staying with. Good. Tell me about your friend, Guy Pringle. Tell me about his friends. And if you're a very good boy, I will permit you to leave on the morning train. Yeah, yeah. Also, the cat dies in episode two, uh, <laughs> and, and and having having had a dead cat in the bite about, I feel that that um, oh, it's a theme. Alan Plater is becoming the cat killer of drama. Uh, yes, if you're a cat lover, don't watch Plater. <laughs> Yes, that's a good note for everyone. If you learnt nothing else, so, <laughs> um, so oh, it's Yakimo's fault as well. The cat dies. Yeah, we, uh, yes. Although that's a bit unclear, but yeah. I, I loved um, I loved Despina's view of um, of Yakimov. She says he eat and eat and, and sleep and sleep. <laughs> that's yes. all, that's yeah. all he does, according to her. So we should talk about Yakimov's. Um, visit to Cluj, which I've been to in Romania. That's where it was. Ah. Um, oh, is this, to is this Philip Maddock? Freddy von Flugel. <laughs> yeah, Freddy von Flugel. <laughs> Freddy von Flugel. <laughs> um, <laughs> Philip Maddock is basically yeah. Philip Maddock, but I mean, he's wonderful. He's, let's not say that. I'm not saying he's not a great so, actor. Cause he no, is, some but... of the cameos in this are astonishing, you think. You've got this guy to come out and presumably for two days do a yeah. scene. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, being Philip Maddock. Totally sinister, totally terrifying. <laughs> yeah, he's very—he's so terrifying. He's like warlord, sort of terrifying, war games type, ter terrifying here. Um, and while well, they discuss bananas, weirdly yeah. initially, but then it's very much onto what sort of game are you playing, Yaki? I don't mm. understand you. You say you say you're a spy, and here's my sabotage mm. plans. What the mm. heck are you doing? And then mm. Yaki reveals that guy is some. Oh God, he he lists—he lists, he gives them the death list essentially, doesn't he? Mm. And you just think, oh, you complete idiot. Yes. But you know yes. there's no malice in him. Yeah. But he's causing... I think he causes Foxy Leverett's death. Mm, or does he? Right, because because yeah. Foxy well, is... Um, he's on got the list, drunk isn't he? And yeah, he got drunk and was shouting about Hitler in a bar as well. Yeah. But that's something I want to come to, which is um, this issue of indiscriminate death. So yes. throughout the series, first you've got Foxy. Yes. A bit later you've got Yaki. Yes. You've got Angela's son who dies horrifically. Yes. You've got Hugo, um, who dies off screen but horribly. Hugo yes. Boulderstone. Mm -hmm. Um incredibly you end up having Pink Crow shot. Yes. And right at the end you've got Bill Castlebar dying as well. Yes. And I think it's this theme of indiscriminate death which is is definitely part of is it, it. Is it one per book, do you think? Do you oh think yes. It's, it's the climax of each book. Maybe Possibly. I don't I don't know the books well enough, so I can't. I don't I don't remember, but I think the point is the point of it is part of it is war, 
I mean, yes. Edwina, Edwina has that wonderful line, doesn't she? She says, oh, everyone's dying these days. <laughs> yeah. As if they're being particularly annoying yes. <laughs> by dying. Well, but, um, everyone, everyone's shooting everyone. <laughs> yeah. I think crops up as well, you know. Yeah. But I think the point is, dramatically, you're not meant to feel that anyone's safe, I guess is part of it. But mm. it's also this idea that... Um, that war does this that you know mm. you can't rely on anything and i think there's something a line somewhere about not being able to rely on angela says she can't rely on people living anymore and yes. um she's you know for good reason distressed well i mean that you know i mean we are currently at time of recording living in interesting circumstances <sighs> and, God, and, aren't we? and even now we have people who are ringing the police because their neighbors have been out two or three times today yeah. So people, if if they think, oh, they're getting something I'm not, you know, people can be very, very selfish and very, look at them, sir, look at them. Now, we've all been in those classrooms as well. This is, again, it's a very human story. This is what people do. You, it was, it was that, that story about you throw all the, if all the rats go down the same hole, one rat comes out, you know. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's. People are just bloody awful a lot of the time. They are, despite they all, absolutely all are. the trappings. People yeah. generally, there, are, there are you know, a person can be lovely, but people are bloody awful. People are the worst. I mean, my friend Brian, who um, guests on the podcast, the World Enough and Time podcast, occasionally, mm. he's always said hell is other people. I know it's not something he said, but he's always mm. said it. And the more I live, the more I feel like that. I have oh, to say, there's certainly a truth in it. You know, it's, uh, yeah. You know. I mean, you know, but of course, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, no, no, not, you know, present company accepted. But of course it's not, you know, people, people can be nice, can be nasty. Yes. And, and, and I think that is one of the things that this series particularly picks up on, you know, uh, self-interest and, and survival leads people to do the most appalling things yeah. and sometimes the most wonderful things. You know? Yes. I mean, Yakimov's a good example. Dubadat and Lusher are an example in another way and, and the things that Guy does unknowingly, I mean, oh. the hurt he make, he causes Harriet. Um, getting back to the current weird lockdown situation, mm-hmm. um, there's quite a few moments in this where it was kind of like, oh God, this is too close. Yes. Uh, there's one where there's one point where Angela and Harriet go to Luxor, and there's an epidemic there, and you're like, oh yes. gosh. There's the line about Europeans who catch things out here are gone in no time, and <laughs> you're yes. like, no, but. There's one particular line, I think it's from episode three, mm-hmm. um, where Guy says, and I think I'll just play it in here. Well, I'm working on the assumption that everything will be back to normal for the autumn term. I have to prepare Nothing time will ever tables. be back to normal. Well, I have to believe in normality, darling. I can't believe in that. Life's hardly worth living, is it? <laughs> you know, and it's just like, oh my god, it's it's just too mm. close to home now, isn't it? Yeah, there is a, there is a moment I, d- I did uh, l- just want to make a point of, and that's well, two points really. One one is that, like I say, their their flat in many ways is like a a, a widescreen view of history. So yes. they're standing on the balcony, watching oh, the world burn. Lovely, you know? yes. You're and right. I do I do feel that that's that they are able to watch these events, but still be slightly detached from them i think that mm. that that feels very much where they are in in the thing but also and i know i know you're a fan but i just there, there is a moment uh with the iron guard which just really triggers something with me about cabaret when they <laughs> when they're all out in in the lovely day and then someone starts singing <laughs> 
you know and you just think yep that happens here as well you know it, yeah. it's it, it's a transition uh, yeah. in a, in a country from what we call, what we might think of as normal to yeah. different normal and yeah. again sometimes and that, it comes yeah. on a beautiful sunny day sunny yes. afternoon and yeah you know, someone pipes up a song and suddenly yeah. you realize the world has actually changed yes and the sunshine isn't the same well it is the same but the people have changed yeah mm. i mean the iron guard uh, carry on yeah no and later on you get german singing in the bar and all this kind of yeah thing. And, and, and earlier on you've seen the english singing in a bar so again that transition has happened without anybody really noticing yeah but, i think but there's I been have, a shift yeah. in society yeah. I think how the war and the threat of war is conveyed is really cleverly done in this by James Gethin mm. Jones and Alan Plater in the sense that initially it's it's metaphorical and it's it's not so visual for instance you've got I think the train coming thunderously down the track in the very mm. first shot is meant mm. to be the oncoming storm of the war and it's Indeed. meant to be strong and unstoppable mm. and then you've got Harriet looking outside and seeing the wolves eyes the animals mm. eyes staring out and and mm. guys suggest they could be wolves and clearly yes. they're meant to represent the nazis yeah. and but then that kind of comes out of the wings and then it's it's something that's more obvious all the time you you've got like the iron guard beginning to march openly and yes and um there's a wonderful set piece scene in which yaki takes the car for a spin with the three diplomats oh yes and, <laughs> and they drive he, he gleefully drives through the iron guard not realizing how fucking dangerous that'll end well <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> but exactly. again, the, the I think the interesting thing about taking the first three episodes as a whole, the the the, the Romania section, if you like, yeah. is there is actually in real terms, this isn't a war movie. You don't actually see much of the war in itself. You see the effects of it, but you don't actually there aren't you don't really get the sort of bombing raid. You know, the traditional view of of a war movie. No, is is that you very much get the explosions and the aeroplanes yeah. and everything like that. And really, this is probably more like that. What the first year of the war was like, even even in Britain, you know, there was that phony war thing and everything like that. Uh, but in the First World War, yeah. but but you get this whole sort of people carry on much as before, whilst yeah. you know the edges start to blur. Yeah. And it's only really towards the the latter end of episode uh, three when they they decide to put. To Harriet on the plane to get her out, mm. you know, and it looks like guys staying behind and 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 you know will not survive. You know, the, the fascists are coming, yeah. but actually, right up until that point, which is uh, what it's about a year, isn't it? It's uh, yes, it, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's October uh, nineteen forty when they go to Greece, so mm. it's it's a year since the opening episode. Mm. Uh, you haven't actually seen much in the way of scenes of a war which you do get in the second half of the story but but certainly not yet you know you've you've still got the absurdity of alan bennett's lecture <laughs> yes i you mean know. he arrives at just the wrong point doesn't he completely yes. and they have to deal with him it's just ridiculous Indeed. you know and, and yeah. of course you know the theater and all this kind of thing so so mm. but but it's very much uh people trying to carry on yeah. keep calm and carry on for want of a better phrase yeah no exactly but, uh and then suddenly it becomes no longer uh, tenable, yeah. if you like, to remain there. And, yeah. you know, the world has changed, the world has shifted, and our heroes are all on the run to Greece. They are, so we should we should go to Greece with them. Should we join them there? We shall. <laughs> ¶¶ 
I want to start off by saying that I think some of the amazing cinematography that's taking place in this drama. I mean, the aerial shots of the Parthenon with Harry... Oh, it's sumptuous, isn't it? Absolutely yes. sumptuous. It's, it's, it's gorgeously shot. Indeed. And you get so many lovely long shots of the Parthenon and later of the pyramids when we get to Egypt that the long shots in this are just so well done. I just think, imagine the setup and the radioing that must have taken place in order for these scenes to be caught on a BBC budget. Um, I just... Well... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've, uh, I mean, I've, I, yeah, we've been, we've been to uh, Greece and Egypt on holiday, and the only time you can film without tourists must be about four in the morning. You know? yes, yeah. The shadows are quite long, but basically, uh, I know there's some, uh, there was some talk about because they filmed uh, similar, not similar scenes, but uh, scenes in similar places in uh, the end of the Good Place. Ah, and again, they, they had to basically do it at stupid o'clock because that's the only time you can yeah. get these places without because i think uh, if you try and shoot on um the nile yeah people are just you know the boats in the background are just guys doing their job now, now no, luckily exactly. those boots are quite, those boats not boot those boats are quite timeless so you can probably get away with it but yeah. it's it's very difficult to to shoot these scenes and you know and of course to not make it look modern i mean an aerial wide shot that doesn't look like it's shot in 1987 or 1986. Yeah, must be astonishing. I yeah. mean, it's especially in a pre-digital age. Yeah, I mean, we were in Athens last summer for the first time, so I finally went to the Parthenon, <laughs> and it, as you say, it's so busy. But also, we went to the um, the ancient agora, which is all the ruins beneath. Right, and I was quite um, excited by the the scene in which Harriet hides with um, oh, what's he called, Martin something. Not Martin, oh, Martin, the, that's you. The military, the military man. <laughs> I can't remember his name. Charles yes. Burton, was it? Yeah, um, it Charles be, yeah. Warden. Right. And they go and hide in that little temple, and that's actually in the ancient agora. And we we went mm. there when there was the air raid. Yes, we oh. didn't go there during an air raid. They went there oh. during an air raid. <laughs> and Emma was here. Was written on on the. <laughs> yeah, ET was here. <laughs> um, I am. Um, I don't know what I felt about the fact that you do actually have an action scene in um, Athens where they mm. escape later on, where they sh- escape in the fish lorry through the street yes. that's being bombed. And yes. because so much of it has been seen on the sidelines before, finally you have a, like a big proper explosion scene. Yes. And I think it made you realise, oh, actually, this is actually war and this is action and this is yes. really happening and they're in deadly danger. Yeah, the clues in the title. People are going, "Where's my war film?" Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, it's a war now. Yes. Oh, I can understand this now. But yeah. is this saying? I think the point is, it's saying the war's really here now. You know, they have left mm. it too late. I think that's the point mm. of it, rather than just saying, "Here's an action sequence." Well, I felt very much that the the Greece. I I, I loved the Greece episode. I think yeah. It's, you know, but but it's also a very guy light episode. Weirdly, um, you yeah, know, he, he, do, he doesn't actually engage with it a great deal, but. Um, I mean, you had a lot of obviously moody shots of uh, Emma feeling lonely walking around in Athens. Yes, and, and if then, you don't like watching that, then it's not the episode yeah. for you. Yeah, perhaps. but then obviously, then she happens to run into Yaki. Hooray! Oh, I know, and that's gorgeous. And, and their relationship in that episode is just the best thing, isn't it? And of course, when you think about because uh, he he uh, we, we didn't touch on in the Romania, but he ends up living with them in the flat. Uh, yeah. Hence the hence the dead cat. But <laughs> yes. but but he he was kind of like 
when he when he was brought home, it was like everybody's face. Oh God, why have you brought this person into your home? Know, and yet, yeah. and yet, the, the shift in emphasis is suddenly in the next episode. It's like everyone's pleased to see him. It's like, oh, thank God, there's somebody a familiar face. Yaki, I never thought. Oh, you never thought you'd be pleased to see me. Um, yeah. But of course, then he uh, is the person who, when when Emma's in her pajamas, on uh, is is the one who brings back Guy to her. Yes, you know? yes, he kind in of the reunites big pajama them, yeah. scene. And yeah. you you can see he really cares about the Pringles, doesn't he? He really does. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose they showed him kindness, and yeah. Yes, and that's the thing. I mean, it's the repaying of kind. I think by this. Well, I mean, I think he's always known he's a bit of a bit useless, really. But you know, but he can he can do a kindness. Yeah. And because he, he does that, we forgive him an awful lot, and it becomes his story then becomes far more tragic. I suspect had what happened to him happened to him at the end of episode three, you wouldn't have given much of it. No, absolutely not. Absolutely you know? not. Um, one of the scenes, actually, is a standout scene. Is um, is when they um, they have to deal with the two curries, the the women, Mabel and what oh yes, Gladys. Gladys. Professor Pinkrose's little uh, little. Uh, <laughs> Twins fan club, yeah, yeah, twins are yeah. dead. And one of them yeah. calls her a. Call, they, they call him a. They call Yaki a drunkard. And they call Harriet an adulteress. Yeah. And 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 Yaki says guilty, and she says not guilty. Um, yes. But well, I, I think at this stage, I mean, ultimately, what's happened is uh, uh, Harriet's got a job, hasn't she, with the mm. uh, consulate yeah. or, or whatever yeah. it is, and. And that's going nicely, and Yaki's are there, and they're all working, and they're having a, a, a wonderful old time of it. And Professor Pinkrose turns up and ruins it. Yes, because he's a pompous yeah. old tit. <laughs> and but this is this is of course because Guy's already struggling to get a job because he's yeah. not top of the list like he thinks he ought to be. So yeah. she's gone out and got a job. Yeah, you know, which he he hates the fact that she has to work. Have you noticed yes. that? Yes. And um, he's not. And uh, and then Professor Pinkrose turns up while she's doing this job that she's quite yeah. enjoying. Complains about it being in a billiard room. <laughs> and it's that lovely moment when he goes, I need to complain. <laughs> I know. Like, who are you going to complain to? You are mostly. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then just... they and they go off to rent a house, uh, yeah. uh, Harriet and Guy. And yeah. It's, and it's again, it's, they've got to get, somehow managed to get this rather lovely house because somebody's uh, basically skipped the country. Yeah. And, uh, and there's a point in the middle of that where Guy says to her, you have a job, I have work. Yes, Which, and that's again, an important thing, the, is the academic, the academics. Yeah. <laughs> you know, self-importance, you know. Absolutely, yeah. Anyway, so uh, while, uh, while, uh, while yeah. Pink Rose burbles on about this lecture from Byron, <laughs> you're just sitting there thinking, what a tit. <laughs> yes, and, and, and Yaki says it for us, which is why we love him even more, because yes. he's saying exactly what we're thinking. <laughs> um, yeah. On Guy Pringle. What's that? In our open. What's he do for organisation work because he has dangerous left wing tendencies? How dare you touch that? That's a confidential report. It's a pack of lies. Did Pinkrose give you this? Good morning, everybody. I've arranged a date for your lecture on Byron. What lecture on Byron? Yours. I can't possibly give a lecture on Byron when the Germans are likely to march into the city in a minute. Could be a formidable last line of defence. 
I want to know uh, what plans you've made for my evacuation. Well, the truth is none at all. I haven't been asked. And I would like to know what right you have to tell lies about my husband. Those confidential notes. The organisation does not permit confidential reports. If you write a report on Guy's work, you're required to show it to him. He's supposed to sign it. Required? Required? I am the director. I'm not required to do anything. I'm taking these for Guy to read. I insist you return those notes to me. No. You defy me. Yes. Source. Well played, dear girl. Consider yourself dismissed, Mrs Springle. So, uh, do I take it, Professor Pinkrose, that you don't intend to give a lecture on Byron? No one has a greater love and admiration for the works of Lord Byron than I. But if you love him so much, why don't you get a missile along here and die? I can't remember exactly the words that uh, Yaki uses, but it's basically, I'm fired too, or I'm... Uh, what? <laughs> we'll, need to, we'll need to find that, that clip because it's, it's just wonderful. Well, it seems I have to consider myself dismissed as well, dear girl. I think it's a technicality. Hmm? I get the feeling we're all about to run away. Huh? I get the feeling we need a drink. Yes, it's the solidarity he shows. Her oh, absolutely. Yes, and absolutely. the connection that they have suddenly, which mm. they you would never have believed they would have. And that's something that Fortunes of War does. It changes characters yes. in your mind and makes you see them in a new light some of them i would say that there's there's uh, certainly the the greek episode uh, specifically um you kind of in many ways you think oh it'd be nice if it was that was each of the sections was three but maybe there wouldn't be enough story for the greek one but the uh, it very much is about reversals of fortune yes you know I mean, you you see you see the soldiers marching off, all proud and hopeful, and like Greek gods. Back. Yes, yeah, and you see her getting a job and losing a job. So there's a lot of this. So this accusation of adultery, though, is because she's been hanging around with Charles Warden, and it's actually Indeed. that accusation which is the catalyst that prompts her to go and at least get as close as to the bedroom door with with Charles and say, well, yes. if I'm if people are thinking that I'm having adultery, mm. I may as well do it. Yes, and. Um, and it's only the surprise appearance of Sasha that, that stops that. Um, yes. Yeah. But it's just interesting that she she is so troubled about this and she doesn't have... She's so invested in Guy and and later we discover that, that Guy's having it, been off, having it off on the side and we, you know... Yes. Yeah, it's just... Ah! That, yes, what a git. Yes. <laughs> but of course... <laughs> Again, uh, you know, you, you look at that, and of course, that is stopped simply because Sasha turns up. Yeah. Who you know, and and that that sort of stops all that. But um, also, in the midst of all that, there is uh, there's a lot of talk about poets. Mm. Was that that line about you can work wonders with a heap of dust and mm. and how 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 poetry can change the world, which again is incredibly naive sort of yes i'm sure i'm sure it can and does but but, but really at this point we need bullets yeah. and fighting men yeah i think so yeah <laughs> you know there, yeah. there is a place for poetry don't get me wrong yeah. it's, it's absolutely it's absolutely true but you know it's it's not necessarily <laughs> yeah the best thing to have when the nazis are coming at you with machine guns you know no and i think this is the point this is the episode of which harriet realizes i think that you know that Charles actually loved her, but he questions mm. whether actually she questions whether Guy loves her because 
as she says, you know. You love everyone. That doesn't mean I love you less. I think it does. And that's that's a turning point. As is the stuff I love the bit about where she's asking whether he's she wants to invite people over for lunch on Sunday and he says mm. she says, I need to know your movements and he's like Ah <laughs> And he's like <laughs> I see uh, you'd like me to be here and she says This is our home. We're a married couple. It's an ancient tradition. <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> It's just wonderful, but honestly, you just want to punch him, don't you? Yeah. And then, of course, um, they they at the end of this episode again they have to flee, flee Greece. Yes, flee Greece. Uh, and the flee, flee Greece, flee Greece. <laughs> and uh, because, you know the war again feels like it's properly happening, and there's this whole thing. It makes me think this is another scene. Oddly enough. Back in Romania, I think of the early episodes of Tenko when you, when Singapore is trying to be normal and yet yeah. everybody knows the the Japanese army are coming. Yeah. And when they're getting on the ship, you, obviously there is uh, the scenes uh, in Tenko before the ship's uh, uh, sunk. Is it yeah. sunk? It does. It is sunk, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, and 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 so they're all uh, trying they're to get cabins sort of and getting their cabins, and you get it's the same kind of scene where where basically. Um, Dear old uh, Dobson kicks Lush and his bell yeah, do out of them. Yes. <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> it actually transpires they were trying to tr- requisition the, the whole boat just for themselves. The yes, basically. Yeah. Oh, God, we must talk about Professor Gracie. I mean, he's not in it half enough, but of course he is my old mate Clifford Rose. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> um... I should have a bell for these. <laughs> He is the only actor who I actually exchange Christmas cards with. But anyway, there it is. Jolly good. Jolly good. <laughs> but um, he he makes the most of being in this for this the short time that he's in it. Have, have um, you ever asked him? Was it just two, oh, two days in Greece? Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, totally. He loved it, and of course, he loved James Keflin Jones. He he who had directed him in Roads to Freedom. He was in that. Right. Okay. So he kind of he'd been tipped the wink that he would have a role in this, mm-hmm. um, but. I think he he loved it, and of course this led on to him being in Branagh's Hamlet because I think Clifford Rose is in that as well. Right. So I think they struck up a friendship through this. But um, he's he's so set up, isn't he? He's got his own little palace. Gracie has, and and he says at one point, "We'll delay luncheon by twenty minutes in order mm. to receive Harriet and Guy." Oh, it's so nice to meet you, young people. You must tell me all about your escape from Bucharest. Um, I flew out in an aeroplane, and a few days later, Guy flew out in an aeroplane. Intrepid. Uh, but then the question of homosexuality again ra- is raised with him, because we later discover that he's um, he's de-whatevered, not defrocked. That's what happened to my father. Um, oh yes, <laughs> he's, um, he's, his job is taken away from him because he's he has a as a moment with an Arab on a houseboat. Which Indeed, just, yes. yes, as you do. <laughs> yes, but um, it's 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 beautiful when Pink Rose turns up as yes. um, as Gracie's one of Gracie's companions. Yes, um, yes. Well, again, yeah. the, the the subplot of of of. Uh, Alan Bennett putting the boot in 
all the <laughs> every single chance every time. I know because he's, he's a little bitch. He's a little bitch. He's terrible. And of course, um, before before we uh, get onto the boat, and uh, there, there is a lot of there's a lot a lot of lovely played stuff about. Is it John Donne on the boat? Yes, poetry. Uh, there's a, yes. lot, a lot of interesting again talk about poetry yeah, it's a very poetic episode that's probably why i like it really mm. but uh before all that of course uh we do get the um the uh, tragic demise of our favorite prince yakimov yes uh, do i look uh, like a military target he says just before well, he gets yes. shot by a military man and he gets shot because he wants a fag for god's know, sake you know it's know. such a banal reason but that's such deliberate, a, isn't it? It's the inanity oh, of absolutely. how people die in war, isn't it? That's the thing. Well, of course, and, and, and plays back to that First World War thing of the lit cigarette yeah. in the trenches, you know. Yeah. Which is, uh, so it, it does have that kind of thing. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, yeah. But there's all, again, there's all this... Um, uh, wonderful stuff about running away. I, 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 uh, that's another theme I think throughout the absolutely the, uh, is running away or, or or getting away or it's always about running to something somewhere else. You know, and sometimes so that's, it's that's, yeah, and sometimes it's an accusation. Are you running yes. away? Yes. And other times it's seen to be oh that's a clever thing that they're running away. Sometimes yes. it's bad. Sometimes it's good, and that it, yes. that changes all the time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but they're always running from something, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I went away. I ran away. I ran away. I went away. It, <laughs> yes, it, it, yes. It, I wrote it down it, a lot as well. Running away, yeah. ran away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so we now kind of it starts again, doesn't it? Fortunes hmm. of War starts again at episode five. It does. And We're in Egypt in April nineteen forty-one. Yes, and. We and starts with a prayer tower, doesn't it? It's, 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 yeah, I mean, that's the whole sequence. You are now in another country. Yes, there's a there is the call to prayer. Here are the clues. We'll show you Here pyramids shortly. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but I don't and, think it's uh, done badly. And I think, I think one thing I was disappointed with, um, mm -hmm. but it re it sorts itself out, is that they don't. Mm -hmm. I don't feel that they give enough of Egypt as a character early on. Right. Thankfully, later that is redeemed. Because yes. the character of Aidan Sheridan um, st starts to talk about Egypt as if it's a person. He says Indeed. it's unpredictable. You never know what it'll do to you. I hated it mm. at first, but then it grew on me. And in the same way that Romania is a character, Egypt becomes a character as well. And I think the more they bring that out, mm. I like that parallel of like saying this is a character in the piece as, as much mm. as a place to be. It's like a mother you detest, yet are tied to in spite of yourself. I think it's the place where we all began. It's here where we were born first and lived out the infancy of the soul. You believe in reincarnation? I believe there are ghosts. I believe we're haunted. But, but also, I think, uh, to a certain extent, the pyramids become a character. I mean, climbing the pyramid becomes... That's metaphorical, kind of isn't it? That's metaphorical a for all yeah. sorts of things. Yes. You know, yeah. and, and features at least three times, I think. It's, uh, yeah, and there's one off-screen, <coughs> isn't there, as well? Which, cause yeah, Harriet they, and they refer Ken, back to it, yes. Harriet and previous Ken. Previous client. <laughs> yeah. Harriet and Guy go a bit separately hmm. um, beforehand. Yes. Um, so what did you make of 
of Egypt and what happens there? It's um, on the whole, I, I I I must admit I did feel that the ending it sort of got a bit fudged, not a big fudge, a bit blurry. Uh, you know, I felt it, it, the story didn't as so much sort of finish as sort of grind to a halt. Mm -hmm. It's like it's like there was no more story to tell, which is fine. Yeah. You know, it's like is, is there not another book? You know. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, for example, to me that the Second World War stops in 1943 in this, so yeah. you don't, and you never, re and again, there's there's they don't address post-war or. You know, I mean, we don't we don't get into what becomes of them. We don't actually know whether they survive the war as characters. Mm. We assume they do because of, yeah. of you know the books, but but they're just sort of left sitting on a pyramid, having finally bonded. But it does kind of you know make you think, and then what? You know? Right. And I always I find that with a lot of dramas is I you know you either feel yes that's satisfying closure, well of course it's it's like life. You can't you know you shouldn't. You expect life to always be in neat, neat bundles, mm. but I, I did I did feel it sort of petered out a bit right. in, my, in, in my humble. I, I, I had issues with episodes five to seven certainly, um, mm. less so with the end. I have to say I felt that was right because I think it plays to this okay. idea of the fact that that was unresolvable because mm. because you know I mean Harriet in the end says well, I actually might leave you in the future. I can't promise I won't because you're a bastard, mm. essentially. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is that I life goes on. I don't know, I can't and, promise, probably yeah, not. Yes. Yeah, life's <laughs> uncertain. So that yes. might happen, it might not. But mm. I like the fact that it's just kind of like life goes on regardless and it's not too deliberately, dramatically tropey about a big moment. I, mean, I suppose there's the big moment in that Harriet's not dead and she comes back to life effectively. But um, but, but I, I also feel, well, I mean, that... that you could argue that's a dramatic conceit, but yeah. but also, I think you you immediately miss Yakimov. You immediately miss that character, and there are other characters who sort of come along who sort of play the that sort of role in the story. Yeah. But really, you do you do feel you've lost. I mean, no, okay, loss, war, yes, but you've lost something by losing Yakimov at that point. Yeah, I think Bill, and, Bill Castlebar, played by um, Robert Robert Stevens, is the Yakimov replacement, really, isn't he? Mm. But he's well, there's not he's, enough of him, and yeah, and he's also far more uh, together in that yeah. sense. He's, he's, yeah, he's yeah. not quite as intimate. I mean, there's a there's a terrible. Uh, I think we must we put there is a terrible scene of utter racism, very early in episode five. Uh, I think it's I think it may well be Jack Watling, when they go and see the Hoopers, yeah, and he's and he's referring to people as um, jippos and wogs and all this yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And and then of course you, you the horrible death of this child while somebody's painting, yeah, you know she's not paying attention and and you see you see the um, you see the uh, is it a bomb is it a, it's is a it it's a mine grenade or a bomb it's something it's a anyway that he's he's, yeah. he's throwing things towards it and he doesn't realise it's there yeah. yeah and then this child is next time you see him he is basically dead but people are pretending he's not which is uh, for out of some kind of you know, it's a strange sense of trying to be kind, I think. Yeah, and it's it's really disturbing, but it's also wonderfully well done, I think, even though it's horrible. Desmond! 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 Oh. Oh, dear, what is it? I think he'll be all right. Um, put him over there. No, wait, 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 wait. We were, we were in the... In the desert, and and I was painting, and, and and I didn't see. But um, he was playing, and there was an explosion, and uh, but he'll be all right. 
Yes, I expect he's suffering from shock. Do you think we ought to rouse him? Perhaps he should have something to eat. Hmm? Yes, something nourishing, something light and easy to swallow. Well, gruel or an egg beaten up. Yes, and he ought to have an anti-tetanus injection. There was some dettol in the car and I... I bathed his head. Well, I, I think has, it, yeah. uh, that leads through to, because at some point in the final episode, uh, Guy says something about, I hate death, I hate death. Yes. You know, I don't like the concept of it. it yeah. and, you know, and, and again, I think basically over the course of this three episodes where you are more in the war, you get to see the desert war, but, you know, characters die in this. You know, there's, there's, the, uh, there's the terrible moment when and and, and run rabbit run becomes a, a, a sort of background tune. To yes, this. it's very much a, a <clears throat> and it starts yeah. where you see these German soldiers running away from where they've been yeah. uh, shot at, and one of them almost makes it, and he gets to the top of the hill, but the sniper gets him. Yeah, and then uh, then you get the uh, where uh, Rupert, um, right? Yeah, yeah, it gets blown up. Mm. Uh, Simon Balderstone, I apologise. Yeah. Uh, gets gets uh, blown up, but but his driver is killed. You know? Yeah, and of course, you uh, throughout this, you've got um, oh, what's his name? Chap from Drop the Dead Donkey. Um, Jeff Rawl. Yeah, Jeff Rawl as 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 his has his his mate, his sergeant. You yeah. know, who is kind of being the common man. <laughs> yes, he's Jeff Rawl. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But um, yeah. uh, and but but then again, uh, <clears throat> he goes off into the desert, and there's this booby trap which injures him, and you know. But then it doesn't seem to permanently injure him, and that storyline's all all a bit. Uh, is, is, is it resurrection? I don't know. I, oh, I think it. I think it very deliberately is. I think it's about mm. people. It. I think what it is, and I think it is done very well, actually, in my opinion, because mm. I think it's paralleled with um, Greg Hicks' character of Aidan Sheridan, who. Well, there's also the fact that his brother was killed, and his brother looked very like him, and he, people yeah. keep saying, "Oh, you look very like your brother, who's yeah. dead." <laughs> I think you know. the point is that he chooses to live. Um, mm. Which you know choose life. Mm. It's the eighties. <laughs> he chooses mm. to live, um, whereas mm. Aidan Sheridan chooses death. He chooses to mm. kill himself. And mm. there's a wonderful parallel because because there's a scene where Aidan's um, in Luxor with Harriet, and they're in front mm. of the, the statue of Sekhmet, which, by the mm. way, is the god that you pray to if you want to get healing. Mm. Um, uh, so that's deliberate. That he says, um, the thing is, Harriet, I'm dead. Because mm. he he effectively mentally didn't survive what happened to those children and um, yes. the people he was torpedoed with, um, mm. he didn't survive it. He feels like he's dead, and yes. that's why he takes his own life later, partly. But mm. then you've got the comparison with Simon, who's very much like he actually says to the doctor, "Am I dead?" He said, "I mm. didn't die." He says, "I didn't die." Mm. That was it, isn't it? Mm. Um, and he says, "Well, of course you're not dead," mm. but that's how he feels. So he has to choose mm. to live. And yeah. I think it's that choice of living or not, and so it is about resurrection. Yeah, yeah. there is. There is also, <clears throat> you know, because you get the, there. There's very much at one scene, I think, where there's there's very much the joy of killing when that soldier is killed, and yes. then when he is killed, and they bury him. Yes, and 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 he just says to him, even younger than you, that one, sir. Yeah, they're burying this very very young 
yeah, soldier yeah, 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 yeah. in the desert. You know? yeah. But then that immediately goes to back to uh, Emma working in, in another office, Harriet working in another yeah. office. And there's all this talk about cutting throats. <laughs> and cutting throats becomes a theme for a while. You know? It does, doesn't it? And there's that, yeah. there's, um, let me just find my note about that, because I had a note yeah. about that, which was wonderful. Yeah. Um, oh. It's about the time Gracie gets fired. <laughs> And and uh, and so and so, guy gets the job, and of course employs the te- the, the assassin. <laughs> yes, he employs the assassins as teachers. And, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. There's the thing about the Egyptians um, um, accepting that they're going to change face at any minute, and mm. the, and there's the guy who works with them, Harry, yeah. who says. I'm brushing up my German to be on the safe side. Yes, <laughs> you know, he's like, he says, better the devil you know, but until that point, in which case I will drop you and I will cut your throat, but I will do yeah, it cleanly. We've got yeah. to be very, very uh, pragmatic. you know. Yes, which you know. is what Egypt always had to be done, had to do, yeah. because it's always been invaded for thousands of years. Yeah. And Harriet says that nothing's changed for them for a thousand years. Yeah. Um, something that I think is an interesting element, which I don't know whether it's a, it's... It's important enough, but um, mm. animals. Yes, you've got the kitten in Romania who yes. Harriet loves more than anything else because it's yes. stable and it gives her unconditional love. I guess. Mm. Then you've got Sasha having the company of that dog as well on the roof. Mm. You've got Alan Fruin's dog Diocletian, wonderfully named Diocletian in Athens. <laughs> then you've got Can't shout that in the park, can you? No. <laughs> Diocletian, here, <laughs> yeah, boy. And then you've got Mr. Livisage's charity dog, who's actually called Troilus, mm. which is a is a callback. Um, yes. And it's this dog that wheels around on in. wheels. Yes. <laughs> There's, yes, there's also a chap who has a, a, a pet scorpion for a while. Yes, <laughs> the zoologist. <laughs> Yeah. And then you've got the hawk flying around, which is always an omen. And then finally, mm. you've got the bear at the zoo that Harriet first mm. talks to, and then yes. Guy, Guy talks to later. Talks to as well. yes. And I'll just play the scene in of Harriet talking to the bear now. Bear. If I could do anything for you, I would. With all my heart. But the world is against us. All I can do is go away. I'm sorry. But there's something about the connection with animals that it's trying to say. The the, the chap in the desert, the zoology student who has has the scorpion in a box, who I think they end up having to kill. <laughs> it escapes. Yes, they but, throw it out and he, they go bloody but, hell. But part of part of his character is to say every everybody's remarkable, you know. If you allow them to be, you know, if you yes. care to look. If you care to look, I think is the expression. But yes. everyone's remarkable if you care to look. And yes. again, that's one of the the philosophies that that Guy himself uh, sort of pushes. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what's that other line? We we are who we grab hold of in adversity. Yes. Um, which again is is just part of the human condition. Yeah. You know? And the funny thing about that charity dog, dog just going back to it, is when um, oh. Harriet suggests at the bottom of the pyramid that she'll t- just take the dog while they go inside the tomb. And mm. Mr. Livery says, no! Troilus adores tombs! <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is one of my favourite yes, bits. The, the great British eccentric. Yes, yeah, yeah. totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
I think one of my favourite bits, which is very Howard's End, it's very Merchant Ivory, it's very Emma, Emma Thompson mm. in every good film she does, is very early on in that episode where she says to Guy... Now, where have you brought me? Apparently this place was once a brothel. Oh. I've never been in one of you. Have a... No, not really. This was closed down by the authorities and then requisitioned by the military for use by refugees. Are we still refugees? Yes, we are, darling. How do we stop being refugees? Well, I must find us a job and you must find us somewhere to live. So that's how it's done. And that's just so Ken and M. And I know people have a problem with that. For me, cut me and that is inside me. That is my happy place, <laughs> hearing that stuff. Slip my throat and it's there. <laughs> are they... Um, I can't remember, because they end up... Don't they, have, don't they end up being repatriated to a brothel? They do. Yes, they do. They and don't then, spend then, lo- very long there. And, then, and for a night out, they end up going to a live sex show. Now, that's later, though, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. By which time they're joined by Mortimer. Ah. Played by Claire Oberman, who I have I have spent the day with Claire Oberman. There we go. Fair Doing enough. it again. <laughs> <laughs> she was the very first person I met from Tenko. Um, and she was just the best introduction possible. She was so down to earth. She was so speak as you find. She picked me up in her car at the, at the station, at the metro, at the tube station, and it was just like Kate arriving in. We, a big we were truck. about to get on a boat. <laughs> Mortimer, you saved me. What? <laughs> big hugs. If only you'd thought of it. I know. She's a lovely actress, and she was. Um, she's very, very unsure about how good she was as an actress, but. As Kate and Tenko, particularly in the episode where she mm. loses Tom at the end, where she gets more mm. to do, she like a lot of actors when they get more to do, they are wonderful. Oh, yes. And I was really particularly touched by her scenes that she has with her her lesbian lover in this when they're on the beach mm. and they're holding hands, yes. and you've got Harriet watching that and thinking, "Yeah, this is this is something special and lovely." And she's questioning whether she has that with Guy. That connection, I think, is the point of that. There's also, I think, uh, to to a certain extent, uh, I think that may be one of the scenes that emphasises the difference between modern drama mm. and 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 drama made in the eighties, because it's actually understated, because yeah. it doesn't have to be anything more than that. You you get it, you know. Whereas I think sometimes we 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 certainly have a more show not tell attitude now. Yes, and so there would, that would be made a very big deal of if they remade. Yeah, I think you're now. right. I think you're right, uh, and and uh, and, may, and maybe not necessarily. That's not to say you know there's anything. It's just that it wouldn't necessarily improve the story. Yeah, you know, uh, to and and again, I think I think a modern drama would also make more of the death and war scenes, mm. uh, which again I don't think is the point of the story. No, but. But somehow, I think we've lost. In many ways, a lot of modern dramas have lost the subtlety that that you feel throughout uh, this kind of series. Really, yeah. I, I may I may be doing all modern drama an injustice, but I just feel no, we, I, th- I think we we, I think we right. do we, everything now. It, it, they have to ramp everything up, and in case you'll turn off after ten seconds because you're bored, yeah. and to a certain extent, so they have to make it controversial or exciting, or the helicopters have to come over the hill, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I think somehow the the beauty of a series like this is the languid nature of it is 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 that you gives you time to just watch and it doesn't explain every single moment. Yeah, to you. yeah. yeah. You know? 
um, I would like to talk briefly, if we can, about Angela Hooper and Edwina Little, who are the female characters who are introduced in the um, final three episodes. Okay. Just because I'm intrigued by them because, well, for one thing, I don't like Edwina at all, and you're not meant to. <laughs> Um, yes. But she's useful because you learn a lot of things about about people through her, and then yes. you've got Angela, who they keep saying is mad. Yes, and particularly Guy, he's obsessed with the fact that she's meant to be mad, but she's not mad, yes. and she's no. the least mad. But she's one of the most sane people in it, apart from the scene in which she she loses a child, loses yes. her child, which is completely yes. justifiable. Um, mm. So I'm just intrigued by by your thoughts on these two. Um, Kieran Madden played Angela Hooper. And Diana mm-hmm. Hardcastle, who's an actress I didn't know at all, played Edwina. They they both um, they, they again. I, I suppose you could argue they both serve the plot the way they are to show how th- how people change. Yes. In extraordinary circumstances, I mean, <clears throat> I mean she's she's married with a child at the beginning. Um, I'm trying to find the name again. Sorry, <laughs> Angela. Yeah. Is it Angela? I'm talking yes, about? Angela Hooper. Yeah. Uh, and Angela is married with a child, and obviously then is. Is kind of, uh, you know, is, is behaving in a way that upsets uh, Dobson. <laughs> yes. Yes. Towards let's the just end. say that. And, yes. and 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 there's all the, all this stuff about. I mean, very frank about the the, the bottle of water by the bed. <laughs> I know. Yes. I, I. We did not explain that to my son. <laughs> no. No. Indeed. Quite right. Well, he might want to drink. <laughs> Yes. Oh my God. There was a higher sexual content in the last few episodes, and it was it yes. was a surprise. The last two episodes, that well, suddenly like, sex okay, was a theme, I, I, and it hadn't been. I before. think it, if, if the original books were written in the sixties, maybe the later sixties, you know, uh, there was. Shall we say? I mean, w- w- I mean, if you think the first book is sixty-two, the last book is sixty-five. In the middle, you've had the Chatterley trial. Yes. You know, maybe. Yeah. Things. Things You're were dead right there, Martin. Yeah, you know, things, have things moved were on. a little bit looser, and of course the attitude in the in the mid sixties to late sixties had changed as well. You know, the old beatles had had sort of yes, opened the eyes of things. a generation. Yeah. You know. I think the thing about Edwina I want to talk about is that she's such a stupid woman, oh. <laughs> and um, and and yet, yet she's sometimes the person who calls out the truth. She recognises yes. that um, Aiden was absolutely besotted by a guy and was in love with him, and no one else had mm. realised. No one was yes. realised yes. that at all. But and also, she's also what honest. does Guy see in her? <laughs> I know because we discover that they've they've had a fling because she gets yes. the brooch off him, which yes. should have been Harriet's and was originally yes. Angela's. It's quite confusing. Yes. Um, and yeah, and she's just she's someone who's openly a man eater. Yes. And she's there's also this thing about the brooch, isn't it? The brooch is very symbolic. The heart shaped yes. brooch that, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. gets passed around between. Uh, I mean, I can't remember how uh, Harriet has it, doesn't she? And then it gets taken off her. But before for the that, play. It's, it's Angela's to begin with, because ah, Ange- Angela so. gives it to, to Bill Castlebar. Right. And then, then she has to. They have to give it to Harriet as a cover. Yeah. So I, lo- I lost track of the brooch, Harvey. <laughs> It's very important. Well, the, bro- the brooch is a key character in those last few episodes. Yes, it really is. But um, uh, and then uh, it, it it suddenly turns up on this on this other woman's coat, and everybody's appalled. And, yeah. And was he? Because actually, he takes off. Is he can't uh, when he thinks uh, Harriet's dead. Yeah. He he takes it back off her. He's very he's suddenly very angry about it. You know. Well, we're only going for a fish supper, and you can't wear that thing. You gave it to me. It's vulgar. It's just a cheap theatrical prop. 
It's pretty. Belong to Harriet. Oh. I see. Well, in that case, you better have it back. Am I all right now? Yes, you're fine. Have a wonderful evening. Yes, suddenly he realises what he's done and I think that's also angered himself for having slept with her mm. as well. Yeah. There's the brilliant scene in which um, Jeremy Sinden, Lord Lord Listoon Varna, the improbably <laughs> named Lord Listoon Varna, and, yes. and they, they ask Harriet and Guy, it's like, what on earth does she see in him? And, mm. and um, oh, Johnson yes. answers, <laughs> Lady Listoon Varna. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautifully true. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It's brilliant. Mm. Um, but she... She is not a nice person, but again, you're not meant to like her, and that's part. Well, of I deny this, Lord. Lord, what's it do for no, him? Really? He isn't, dreadful. you know, he's 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 he's, he's a really unpleasant. I mean, because uh, when the the sort of ex turns up, or mm. no, sorry, the the brother of the ex turns up. Yeah, he he makes a point of not staying out of the way. Yes, and then and, and it, oh, it's just a git. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and at the end, you have. You have. Some... Oh, he slaps her ass at one oh, point. Oh, no, no, that happens oh. to Despina as well at one point. I think yeah. Lush slaps her ass or someone does, yeah. and it's like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. But it's of the time, I, I know. Mm. But um, I was just also going to say about Edwina at the end that she um, she claims suddenly that Harriet was her best friend. I'm yes. Like, no. No, love. No. <laughs> we know what you've been doing. Lots. Yeah, I'm sorry. We're not, we're, we're not, we're not here to judge. And it's it's a to wonderful, you what you do. There is a wonderful <laughs> moment as well where she's in a dress and um, in a new outfit and um, she asks Harriet, what, who does she look like? Uh, what does she, what mm. does she think? And she says, you look like Helen of Troy. And that is a, a very barbed comment from Harriet, which, of course, that um, Edwina doesn't understand because she has no education whatsoever. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Huh. Gosh, so, I feel like we've yes, covered a lot uh, of ground here. We have, uh, and probably haven't covered about half of it, really. <laughs> so, well, next time, part two. No. <laughs> no, I know. Well, I was almost no. thinking that. One thing that I wanted to talk about is is what overall do we feel that it's about? And I think ah. one thing that I think it's definitely about is this quote, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Guy now. And let me end with a quotation from William Hazlitt, who over 100 years ago had this to say, the love of liberty is the love of others. The love of power is the love of ourselves. So, um, mm-hmm. this idea about who, who has power in any situation, how free they are, um, and about whether you should love other people and if you can love other people too much, and should you be more about just loving the people who you're, you know, well, you're married, you're married to in this instance. and. Mm. There's, there's interesting stuff around that that I think is is brought out as a theme. Yes, there's I, certainly uh, it's interesting. I think in the final episode specifically, uh, I was surprised. Basically, at that point in the story, Guy thinks Harriet is dead, but she yeah. has been saved uh, by uh, Mortimer uh, taking her out for the day, and the ship she was supposed to be on has sunk. Yeah. And everybody thinks she's dead, and no, and she doesn't find out about this for a very long time. Mm. Uh, presumably, uh, and her idea is well, she, she he knows I'm on a boat, so he, I'll be out of touch for two months. So no, no one's expecting to hear from me anyway. But actually, they keep them apart until about ten minutes from the end 
of yeah. the story. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a 50, 55 minute episode and literally for three quarters of an hour, they, night, night, well, night, one doesn't know the other one thinks she's dead and the other one doesn't know she's alive. Yes. You know, and so we get to see all, all guy rebuilding his life and, and his sense of loss and, you know, and, and trying to go on a date where he completely meets somebody else. Yes. <laughs> and forgets he's on this date. Yeah. Which is which is kind of typical of him, you know. Yeah. But uh, it, it's kind of like sometimes people are so focused on themselves and their own needs, if you like, that they do forget the people closest to them. You know? Yes. And I think that's definitely a running theme. And I think it's one of the reasons that I hated perhaps Guy a little more and he very much reminded me of my father. We were always being told, oh, he's wonderful, your father's wonderful. And he was a wonderful parish priest. He was mm. a wonderful vicar, and he, he, he did mm. so much for so many people. But yeah. for us as a family, he was a dreadful human being and was never there for us. And well, uh, you know, <laughs> you know. it is one of those unfortunate truths. Is yeah. that, you know, we can never, we can never know the insides of a family, insides of a, you know, yeah. as, as friends of people, yeah. you know, when people say, oh, what does she see in him or what does she, yeah. he see in her? Yeah. It's actually, we don't know what's going on. No, um, exactly. And, and, the, and the truth behind the, the veil, as it were, is, 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 is kind of fascinating. And maybe that's one of the things this, this series is trying to explore, you know. Yes, I think it is. Um, and obviously it's also exploring British eccentricity in a wonderful way. Um, mm. And, and it's, I think what I find really interesting, having watched this, having done Edge of Darkness last time, is just mm. how endlessly quotable this is. Mm. Whereas we didn't feel that for Edge of Darkness. There wasn't as many lines we could just pull out, but here we're effortlessly pulling these lines out and remembering well, I'm not, I'm scenes. Not, I'm not certainly thinking... I mean, there there is some television that is, is moving wallpaper, and I, I wouldn't ever necessarily accuse Edge of Darkness of that. No. But uh, but there are... There are I th- again, this brings us right back to the beginning, and Alan Plato write, write, writes good words. He know, does. Memorable words and memorable characters. And yeah. okay, a lot of that is it's an adaptation of a book, and those characters are in the book, and or several books. And um, but actually, I think this has definitely been plated, and I think you know when you've you've seen a, a Plato uh, program, a Plato play. Yeah. Because it, you actually, you actually, it sticks with you. You know, the moments stick with you because it, it just has a way with a phrase. You know. Yeah. So I've got a question for you. Oh, so okay. This had a very good audience at the time. Mm. It was heralded as as pretty darn good. Although you know, there's mm. some some critique of nothing happening, and you know, because of what, the sort of drama. One of few BAFTAs, didn't it? Yeah. Yes, it got um, Emma Thompson got the best actress for this mm. jointly with her role as Susie Kettles in Tutti Frutti. Best mm-hmm. costume design for Christine Rawlins, mm-hmm. who were in, were contract uh, contractually obliged to say designed all was the costume designer on all of season seven of Doctor Who, <laughs> although Yay. she although she tries to forget that. But my God, can you imagine doing all the costumes for twenty twenty five episodes? My God, um, <laughs> <laughs> except for John Pertwee's grandfather's cloak. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. That saved her a week. Yes, uh, I think she did the Sunmakers as well. And fair yeah. enough. Box of Delights later, which is probably oh. more memorable for her. But um, yeah. this is probably the best thing she ever did. But also best design, Tim Harvey. He got a BAFTA okay. for this, for the design on this, which is stunningly good. 
Um, yes. And it was nominated for loads. Best drama series it was nominated for. It was nominated for Best Actor for Ken mm-hmm. and Best Original Music, which I love by Richard Holmes. Oh, love mm. it. Um, I just find it so moving, and just I oh. always get mixed up with Richard Holmes with the with the uh, the bloke who used to walk around battlefields. I mean, I, that's the <laughs> so Richard Holmes is no relation, I take it. No, 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 indeed not. <laughs> as, as far as I'm aware, neither is Robert <laughs> or Sherlock. Uh, I don't know nobody. You're the, you're the one who knows people and uh, related to people, and uh, nah, I know nobody. <laughs> I'm only choosing dramas in which I know people. You'll you'll yes, work absolutely. this out eventually. Yes, uh, <laughs> Because I'm just an oik, man. Oh, oik, yeah, right, because I'm not <laughs> at all. Um, but what I want to get around to my question. Finally, I get around what to my What be this Cambridge? My question be... Uh, we haven't had any Yorkshire either. My question <laughs> is... Oh, I'm sure there's one in there somewhere. Yeah, there will be. <laughs> Why do you think it's not talked about? Why do you think it's not remembered? Why do you think it doesn't appear in any books about classic tv why is it it's not, amazing isn't it why is it not it's, in the guinness it, book of classic british tv why is it not in tv the, heaven why is it not in a thousand and one tv series you must see before you die why is it not in any of them and i just think what what the fuck I, I, i'm angry I, about this angry well, okay. <laughs> I, 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 I believe i believe you're not you're not you're not chuffed about it. i'm getting that <laughs> tell me well, now <laughs> I, I think, unfortunately, I, I think we've touched on this uh, before. It's some series they just kind of get forgotten about. Yeah. In in the same way that, like, say, some big Oscar winners, you know, you, you achieve, what won the Oscar in, and people go, "What's that?" Never. Heard yeah. Of you know, it's it's kind of there. I believe society has a, a habit of deciding amongst itself what it, people should talk about and what doesn't and if something doesn't get talked about and yeah. like you said may, maybe it's what we were talking about right at the beginning maybe the whole uh, ken and emma uh, yeah. backlash yes. in in, in right. the mid mid 90s uh you know people might have said oh and they were in that whatever it was in the war you know yeah it's um because when you think about series from that time um you know I, it's it's not mentioned, is it? In, in the eighties, people no. don't talk about fortunes of war, and yet, obviously, at the time, it was massive. I mean, Radio Times cover, yeah. you know, uh, they are the new Wonderkind. You know, they they got together in the filming of it, you know, yeah. big tabloid uh, story yeah. and everything like that. And I think some series just get forgot. I mean, it eighty seven. Wouldn't that be the Singing Detective? same year i thought it was 86 singing detective was it yeah, so it's about so I mid might 80s. Be wrong. yeah but, but okay but but you know i mean because you, you've got edge of darkness as well in 85 yeah you know and edge of darkness is remembered but that's probably because they've made another film um, no it's singing because De- no i think i don't think it's to do with the film i think it's just it was remembered on its own right and really held it and yeah. talked about all the time in like the top 100 okay. dramas but this would okay. i just don't think yeah. this would ever get into a top 100 dramas even which i think is criminal yeah. because i think it's stunning it's staggeringly good but some some shows just get forgotten about. You sent me a list of potential uh, topics for the letter P. The other yes. Day. And and I'm sat there thinking I've not heard of half of them. There is there is stuff on television that gets made is huge, and it's kind of like there's a a collective amnesia. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They just disappear off the radar, and I don't know whether that's to do with critics. It's to do with uh, the way things are. are, are um, 
are publicised. It's to do with what you know where, where the papers talk about certain shows and everything like that. Yeah. But I just think you know, I mean, because it must have got ratings. I mean, people oh yeah, watch watch. Well, it this, was Sun- it know? was Sunday at at nine o'clock, so it got huge ratings. And it was October, November. Yeah, you know, so it was when you're in. Yeah, peak yeah. time of year. I mean, if you think about in terms of the other stuff you talk about in your other podcast, I mean, that would have been the Sylvester McCoy's that, first. Yeah, well, that dreadful series. Yeah, I mean, I think so, the production but, value on that. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, how much was spent on this compared to how much was paid up for spent well, on the first series yeah. of Sylvester McCoy? Yeah, I mean, it, honestly, you've got Bonnie Langford in a bubble at I the mean, same time as this is going on. I know. And what I'm saying is, actually, in terms of pop culture, probably yeah. if you people if you ask people to name, yeah. A, a, a drama series from 87 they'd probably remember Bonnie in a Bubble yes absolutely more than this exactly and I just think that's when you think of what's art honestly there's so so much in this to enjoy and I, to I, go back I, to. I do have a theory I'm not a person who will watch a series just uh, because an actor I like is in it yeah uh, I know some people do uh, so they'll watch everything that say David Tennant makes because it's got David Tennant in it. And that's that's fine if that's your thing. But uh, I actually think it's possible possible that quite a lot of the actors in this have not appeared in, shall we say, more popular um, dramas. Mm. You know, Car- Carolyn Lindgrish did turn up in uh, Lovejoy. Yeah. You know, and obviously Alan Bennett about this time would is this again is this a bit early for his um, his monologue I think talking heads was was I think that was 88 I think yeah so it's it's about the same time but you yeah. see, I mean it's, this has got Alan Bennett in it and Alan Bennett you know let's face it you know he, he is a legend you know yeah, yeah. he is he is absolutely you know Ronald Pickup again yeah. did other things but and Rupert Graves has gone on but but it's not the thing people talk and Robert Stevens you know I mean it's it is an astonishing like you say Clifford Rose in, in a in a coffin of spit and yeah. uh, Philip Philip Maddock and Jack Watling in coffins and spit you know? <laughs> yes I know every so, every time you turn there's someone new and you're like oh my god just, oh there my it is. god it's him oh my yeah. god it's him and Vernon Dopchev you know I know it's, wonderful it's yeah. just these wonderful characters but somehow somehow it's it's slipped off everybody's radar and maybe what we've done in this conversation however long it may have ended up going on two hours or, um, <laughs> oh, um, you know maybe to a certain extent we'll help people will rediscover it you know, well, it would I mean, look has it, lovely if it has it got the a dvd a release Oh yes, yes. I am. Um, I have the DVD in front of me. It's gorgeous. Apart from the fact it does that criminal thing that it always does on bloody DVD releases when I'm not involved in them, which is a lot of DVD releases, <laughs> is that it's got bloody Ronald Pickup on on disc three next to a pyramid. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, you've got that completely wrong. He's no, dead, no, no, no. and he didn't get to Egypt. <laughs> that just annoyed me no end. But other than that, yes, watch the show you're doing. The damn you assholes. Mm. Yes. Um, well, it's it's Andrew's theory, isn't it, that nobody who works in television has a fucking yes <laughs> at all about television. I know, you know, it's true. But um, I mean, it's those those wonderful things where the photographs of of the discs have got completely the wrong cast on for a show. You know? Yeah. Well, I I have and, a story of when I put the Secret Army um, discs together when I produced those. The first series, mm. I gave them the mm. booklet for series one, mm. and with everything that was required for it, including the episode yep. list for the authors and everything. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, no, we've got a different episode list to you. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like no, this is the episode. And the order's wrong. I'm like, the order is not wrong. I know this series inside out. <laughs> and what they had was a production order list. 
Uh, and they were wanting to change it. And they said, you haven't got any evidence. I'm like, the evidence is having watched it all and I know how it fits together. And it was like, oh no, it was just banging my head I against did my wall. job. Yes, I did my job. I know the order. And it's only in the right order because I had to fight. Otherwise, it would all be in the wrong order. And Curtis so would have got Stay back. tuned for Curtis, when we get some lesser S. Curtis would have left Lifeline before he joined them if they'd had their way. But it, He's well, dead three episodes <laughs> <in>. <laughs> It's just horrific, and I see. I mean, it's it's, it's kind of like um, what's it? It's kind of like oh yes, the, the the cover art for Secret Army Secret Series One, which is which is in in the middle of it, has got uh, James Bree or something. Well, it had Peter Barkworth on the early editions oh. of that Secret Army cover. It has Peter Barkworth as if he's a regular okay. character, and I right. had to fight for Angela Richards to go on the front cover instead of Peter Barkworth, Dear and it God. was a fight. So there you go. This is all a massive aside. <laughs> it's a huge aside. We may have to cut this bit. Indeed. But um, hopefully, we'll put it on as an extra. hopefully some people have watched <laughs> of watched Fortunes of War and they've listened to us talk about it on the basis that we've said we're going to be watching it and that they've enjoyed it. I really hope that it's done something to redress the balance. And so, I hope we haven't ruined the plot for yes, everybody as well. Well, <laughs> you know, tough. Um, yeah. you've, had, you've had 30 years, man. Talking about it being forgotten... Um, Emma Thompson's Desert Island Disc, which you can get on um, on iTunes. Um, she's she's been interviewed by Kirsty Young, and she's asking her about um, her career. Obviously, you know, as mm. they do, and they work through it. And she said, "And of course, you got the BAFTA for Tutti Frutti um, when you played Susie mm. Kettles in 1988." And mm. she says, "Ah, yes, but it was also for being in Fortunes of War. It was a joint BAFTA, and even mm. in that, that's being rewritten mm. so, because people remember Tutti Frutti." That more mm. than they remember Fortunes of War, which again is one of those series that people talk about, isn't it? Mm. And she's just—it is bizarre. She's obviously yeah. having to correct people and say, "Well, actually, it was also for playing Harriet," which is obviously mm. important to her. Well, you'd, you'd like to think it's important to somebody, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. it's it is very much a very very prestigious, well-made, and quite beautiful series. That yeah. I mean, I'm assuming it turned up on things like UK Gold, but it's never has it ever been on the main channel again? I don't know, I don't know, but I think mm. it was on UK Gold because I think that's probably when I watched it again, mm. and mm-hmm. I realised, yeah, this yeah. is something, this is something else. Well, we will we will have to investigate this mystery further. <laughs> <laughs> Why are people? able to just forget great series you know. yeah and i'm sure there'll be other ones that we visit that we'll have the same situation with him like my god why don't people scream about this <laughs> okay i've really enjoyed going back to this with you and okay. spending time on it in in so much detail well, um, i hope we've done it a certain amount of justice because i know you're a fan did i make that clear did i have interjected with some nonsense no you didn't you absolutely didn't i'm very pleased with everything Everything that we put together there. It's good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So okay. we'll be back again next time. Yeah. I think we'll just leave you with the um the final scene on the top of the pyramid, um, in which which guy asks Harriet whether whether it's gonna be okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Martin, until next time. Take care, bye bye. Oh no, what are we doing next time? We should say that first. What are we doing next oh. time? What are we doing next time? Well, I'm assuming Yeah. Uh, uh, as, according to my notes, we're doing GBH. Which all of our listeners will be able to watch on, on all four, won't they? They will, indeed. Yeah. So, so, GBH a bit, next bit time. Bit of Bleasdale. Bit of Bleasdale. We haven't done any Bleasdale yet, have we? Yeah, not necessarily the Bleasdale you'd expect, but uh, no. it's, the, it's the Bleasdale you're getting. Yeah. 
Yeah, so stop <laughs> complaining. Rude. <laughs> okay, we'll leave Take you, care. we'll leave you on top of the pyramid. Goodbye. You'll never leave me again, will you? Don't know. Can't promise. Probably not. You've been listening to an A to Z of UK TV drama with Andy and Martin. Next time, GBH. This is Andy here, just to say... Martin and I would be really grateful if you could write us a review on iTunes because it helps people to find the show on there and also it'll make us feel warm inside. We'd also love to hear from you on Twitter and you can do that at TV Drama Pod. Thank you.